0: This is Larry Zerner Shelley from Friday 13th part 3. You're on Nightmare Junkhead. Hey genius, fuck you too.
1: consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that has and will always be a fan of the side ponytail (laughs) my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we're heading back into the mouth of march madness as we welcome some of our favorite podcasts to help us break down the surviving horror classics from our 1983 bracket And whether you've cried while kicking the can or not, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your best smell in the world hole. (laughs) You can find us smelling out on social media. Uh, We're smelling on Twitter at Nightmare Junk, and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and madness shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Friday, March 10th, if you find yourself in the Kansas City area, head on over to Screenland.com, where you will find they have your, I don't even know, kind of shenanigans taken care of indoors. (laughs)
2: That's the madness, and virtually.
1: (laughs) It truly is the madness, and normally in the madness, Mm -hmm. we're recording far enough that we don't know what's happening.
2: Right. But we scheduled far enough where we
1: do. And you can usually tell by the time we hit to Scream 16, The Hateful Eight, we know what's we happening. We know what's going on. Now, that being said... Well, at least on...
2: we hope we know what's going on. With every show, with everything, uh, with any way possible, there's always a chance that we don't know what the fuck's going
1: on. Well, given the nature of what should be that Friday Night's Fright on the 10th, a uh, film we've discussed on the main feed, mm-hmm. a movie that I have mentioned was monumental in me dealing with depression and my own mental health issues. It is so good. When
2: you, like, said, no, you sit down and watch this, and you got me to watch it, I f- fucking love it.
1: Uh, 2015's Karen Kusama's classic, The Invitation.
2: You gotta love any movie with John Carroll Lynch. John Carroll Lynch is kind of like a Ted Raimi where he makes everything a little bit better. You know some ill shit's going to happen when you see John Carroll Lynch.
1: He was like the 90s version of Richard Brake. Like, you'll welcome him in your movie, but you're like, <laughs> something bad's going to happen. Fucking John Uh-oh. Wayne
2: Gacy all of a sudden is in this movie.
1: That's not good. And then also, for me at least, uh, there's a fellow, a fellow podcaster, a uh, podcaster by the name of Jay Larson, who is in part of those that are invited, uh, the, part of the crab feast mm-hmm. back in the day. Not the one mm, with the laugh. Mm. That's Ryan Sickler.
2: Okay, okay. I got to say, no, he's canceled.
1: But also features another cast from the Game of Thrones. So yes, yes. That's right. The Media Rewind podcast. Uh huh. There it is. Now, that being said, looking forward to next Friday night's Fright on the 17th and another one. Yeah. We've talked about on the main feed. Capital F. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Capital and F. In the year of 1987, I know. Most people, when they think of vampire films, automatically. Right. Right. The Lost
2: Boys, or even you know, even in one of the great vampire, *Fright Night*, for real, as we just talked about recently. Absolutely. Ever. In some of the best vampire movies where they don't mention the word V in it at all, this needs to be on the lips of every conversation.
1: Just make sure you shave before you show up. We are yep. going to be taken in 1987's Near Dark. God,
2: such a good damn
1: movie. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow at her finest. Oh,
2: such a good movie.
1: Again, he's despicable and a little shit, but the part of me feels bad for Homer. Little Homer. God. And if you've ever seen the movie Aliens just the year before, yeah. you get... Hudson, Vasquez, and Bishop all playing in the same sandbox. Plus Tim Thomerson. Oh, oh yeah, Tim Plus Tom Tim Thomerson. <laughs> God, you can love Jack Death
2: himself, fucking shit up.
1: Yeah, no, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Now, that being said, if all of these Friday Night Frights and all the Screenland shenanigans sound good, and you're like, guys, I'd love to partake with you, but I don't live in the area, well, guess what? There are a couple of ways that you can give back. Uh, of course, you can go to screenlandonline.com. Where they have a number of films that you can rent from them, or, uh, rent from them directly, or even better, become a member of their film family by heading over to Screen- uh, Patreon.com/screenland. Where amongst the many perks, we do offer up a little watch party called the Shutter Shoutout, and our one in March is going to be happening on the 25th. It's our it's our annual TBA one. Because we are technically now recording far enough in advance, so we don't know what we're going to be scheduling.
2: We haven't even recorded the February's one, so... We
1: have not. We have (laughs) not. So hopefully you liked our thoughts on Speak No Evil Genius. Is that the one with, uh, oh no, no, i already seen it by now. All four of them, and a wounded fawn. Now, of course, both of those are streaming on Shudder, but by joining the film family... You're going to have access to what Genius He Giggles, what do you call it? That's the home game. Where you can hear him giggle along with you as mm-hmm. we do provide a customized pre-show, visual a video introduction with Genius and myself giving you some context and information, vintage uh, trailer reels, and of course, post-film discussion where we will be uh,
2: processing. Whatever madness we decide to thrust
1: upon you. <laughs> now, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, uh, head on over to Patreon.com slash Screenland. But genius, I'm talking Patreon and Film Family. the bellies. We also have our own little collection of Film Family members on Patreon. And as we did throughout mm-hmm. the month of February, highlighted all of our tiers. Yes. I know at this point, I do believe we will have just released our Thing commentary. Uh-huh. Which was last year's Into the Mouth of March Madness winner. And it's all right. It's all right, dude. It's all right. Over or under on bad or good Brimley impressions?
2: Bad, bitter, or better
1: Brimley. There it is. Remember that. we got to bring that back to the commentary. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Uh, But we have a lot of stuff available uh, at every tier. So if you would like to join our film family, come on over to Patreon.com slash NightmareJunkhead. Indeed. So much good stuff for you. Mm -hmm. And speaking of good stuff, yes. uh, as we go into the round of the Scream 16, it's definitely one of my favorite parts of the madness, because then, unlike the first round, we get to expand and bring in some of our favorite podcasters, Mm -hmm. filmmakers, film fans, just people that generally love genre as much as we do. And it's even better when we get to stay local. Even better when we don't have to zoom or use any kind of normal technology. Right, in person. Yes, in person's the way to go. And quite honestly, my interaction with our next guest uh, did come from our mutual love and admiration of Screenland Armor. Uh, They are huge fans and proponents. Uh, They also do a number of great uh, Panic Fest episodes. Uh, they're just huge fans as it is. In fact, if you would like to hear them dig into some of your favorite genre movies, uh, you can find them uh, as part of the Dirt Bag cinema podcast. Please welcome for the first time Scott Decker and Stephen King.
3: Hey, how's it going. Thank you guys for having us on. Honestly, we know we talked beforehand, but uh, being here for the podcast, being here for the cast. it's um it's definitely the perfect place because, like you said, this is like the home. You know, we talked a little bit about all the, all the tumultuous moments throughout the past two years. That you know, kind of what we talk about, what spawned our podcast. But uh, it was uh, pretty awesome to see us all come together and uh, really just rally behind Screenland. And uh, it, it's a it's a testament to kind of what what it means to be part of what the film family is. Do they call it? It's a, it's a very very true thing. It's a family thing. It's we. It's awesome to be here, especially. Back here in this room at Screenland
1: Armor. Uh, well, and as we usually have to make the off-color joke about the the, the couch. Come on in here. in the back. We're going to do some recording. That <laughs> like plopped right down. Right. No hesitation. have a seat in on the couch. Going. Why do you think I chose the chair? <laughs> right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Couldn't have said it any better, my friend. It. I know, uh, you know, I was talking to you guys before. It's super, super big to be here. I know you're, uh, you know, not celebrities or whatever, but this oh. is a big deal for us. You guys are the, the podcast around here, so... It's a big deal. And you said genre fair, and I mentioned it to somebody the other day about our podcast. They're like, oh, you just do horror movies. Just do horror movies. And we try to branch out, but by God, we uh, pretty much do horror movies at this point.
1: Well, and it just I, bleeds in. There's yeah, no really way around does. it.
2: And the tendrils, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: before we start bleeding and truly tendrilling our way, uh, <laughs> where can our listeners find you out on social media? Please plug yeah, abso- and promote away.
3: Absolutely. So, yeah, we are Dirtbag Cinema at your, your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Instagrams, all that. And then for email purposes, the Dirtbag Cinema. There's somebody out there who took Dirtbag Cinema before oh. we got to it. So we are the Dirtbag Cinema. I don't know how the hell it happened. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, we're, we're on you know Spotify and, and Apple and all those places, of course. So uh, yeah, Dirtbag Cinema.
1: Well, and I've been listening to your show since my first episode. I can tell you my first episode. It was your guys' interview uh, with Jacob Roberts, who very much yeah. part of the Screenland Film family. Absolutely. And when I was involved with it, I was immediately impressed, number one, with your guys' chemistry, but number two, with your genuine joy of what you were talking about and especially the communal theatrical experience, which is on our show is very important. It's very sacred. Mm -hmm. So immediately I'm like, these are my people. And then I've just been listening since. So that being said, how did the show itself come about?
3: It was, you know, we were, doing what we do now on the show for years and years and years. And uh, we just decided, because, you know, at that 2020 point where, you know, we would come here, we would watch a movie, and right after the movie, we would go out, grab a beer, sit down, talk about the movie, digest it, do that kind of thing. And then 2020 rolls around, COVID hits, and everything goes, like, dark. And so, you know, we didn't – we talked about doing a podcast, but it never really had the purpose. I think that was kind of really, like, what, what – we, we – we didn't know what we were doing. We just we knew why we wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of like, Oh, we want we want, we knew there were people out there that w- enjoyed the conversations the way that we did. And we had friends that were just kind of like, you know, missing missing community. And so we're like, Well, what if we just sit down and put this out there and, and have people engage with us? That, that's really the key. I think the mm-hmm. best part of the podcast for us, you know, we we geek and we love that plenty. But when folks geek with us, that's. I mean, it's it's just irreplaceable, that feeling of just, like, you know, when somebody watches a movie that you recommended and loves it.
2: Mm-hmm. Nothing oh, yeah. like that. When somebody, like,
3: <laughs> watches a movie and hates it, honestly, I still love that, too, because at least you watched a new movie. But, you know, I, I really do think that it, it had a I, It was that first domino, but now, I mean, we were kind of talking earlier. Things are kind of getting back to where mm-hmm. everybody's kind of just going and doing things, but, yeah, there's there's still so much joy that we get out of it. And, um, I, you know, it's... Now that we can go out and still do what we're doing now and be mm-hmm. in the same room, we still want to connect with those people who we mm-hmm. we you know kind of rallied with along the way.
4: Camaraderies there because I've known this cat since first grade, so it's not really acting; it's literally just that's... us putting a mic in front of us with a beer. Like,
1: so that's at least twenty plus years of friendship yeah. chemistry. Well, we
3: became friends really actually became friends over we might as well get this out over way, a movie Jaws. That, yeah. is the movie. Right. So we, you know, when we were and we'll talk maybe a little about this when we talk about like our history with horror. But, you know, we started out like geeking out over dangerous animals and creature features and, you know, <laughs> you know, an incredible movie about this giant shark. And, and after that, you know, it was just kind of like all I mean, it's all history, you know, and now here we are. And so that you can point. thank Steven Spielberg for this.
1: Yeah. Yeah we can thank Steven Spielberg for a, a lot,
5: lot right, of
2: things, yeah. a lot of things It's always kind of funny how like you're saying you guys are friends for a long time and then you're like hey let's put a microphone in front of our face and record and see what it hits that happens. A lot of times and a lot of people like hey we have a genuinely funny report uh, report with each other it seems like there's almost two types of friendships in the podcast there's the kind that started out and has been going on for a long time hey let's talk like me and and you, like you guys and me and dustin on media rewind and then there's almost the opposite where it's kind of like me and greg where we basically met and then decided to do a podcast Randomly, we basically had a meet cute which led to the (laughs) podcast. podcast, Basically, it it, it, that's it really how it happened.
1: We met through a friend of a friend, and so (laughs) I never
4: would have guessed that. That's spectacular. Well, and that's just it.
1: But I think that speaks to the power of our love of movies where we have a vernacular, a way we talk and we identify, and it's that stuff we throw out. And when someone picks up on your reference, like. Again, that's mm-hmm. my people. It's
3: that secret language. Yeah, it's it, really there.
1: It really is. It really is. But again, I'm glad that you guys have been found, been finding your audience. And the same thing with us. I mean, right. if it wasn't for us doing the show, we wouldn't be doing this <laughs> right, right. right now. And I guarantee, wouldn't be doing the stuff you know we do with Screenland at this point. So, I, I always encourage everyone out there. It just- is start a podcast yeah. man uh,
3: yeah and, and that was really kind of the there's so a lot of people do ask like dirtbag cinema
1: there's a couple <laughs> different reasons like
3: you go ahead and explain like where the name came from and then kind of them all kind of touch yeah we that got that, that
4: bad boy about. copyrighted but i heard it somewhere else i was listening to the slash film podcast mm-hmm. as i did years ago yes and uh tran Bowie was talking about uh i think it's cop shop it's gerard butler and frank grillo And she called these gentlemen the kings of dirtbag cinema. And, like, literally a light bulb went off. I talked to him. Like, we were already talking about the podcast, trying to think of what it's going to be. And I said, that's it. There's no discussion. It's dirtbag cinema. Because it's all-encompassing. Dirtbag's a perfect word. Cinema's the pinky out of movie. Like, everything works with that. So I might have to, I don't know, Starts getting bigger. Maybe some residuals I'll throw her away. But until then, that was all us.
5: Yeah,
3: and and it kind of encompasses the whole mantra because we really wanted to just be there for pretty much anybody that, you know, wants to talk about a movie. Like, we geek. We go deep. you know, We go into the weeds, of course. And and I'm probably the guiltiest of all. He is. But um, the thing (laughs) is, like, we want to be able to, you know, we talk about movies from AGFA. Like, I want to be able to connect with those folks. But at the same time, there might be somebody who just, like, you know, Back to the Future changed their life Mm -hmm. when they were young and they love talking about Back to the Future and they just they could talk about it all day and we wanna be able to you know to uh, bring those people in too. So the idea of being like, you know, the the scholars and scoundrels of it all like you can be into it you can geek you can just be a casual it doesn't matter as long as you want to you know if you have something you want to talk about it's on the if it's on the screen it's on the table right
2: well first of all there's nothing wrong with frank grillo movies no <laughs> no no <laughs>
3: i have a love
2: for
4: gerard butler that is deep my friend right, right? so and i get fucking it. frank grillo oh,
2: yeah. he, he, i fucking i'm i'll watch any one of his movies all day long fucking trashy action and just <laughs> wonderful Big fan. S- especially for fucking uh, Media Rewind. We probably didn't do the grilling with Grillo soon. So, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> But something that we do on the show, since you guys, is your first time here, we always ask, what's your origin when it comes to horror and genre? What's your Crime Alley story? What got you into the wild world of a horror specifically? Well,
3: dare I address the elephant in the room, if you have a name, like this is honestly, like I told, I was on a, a podcast when we, f- we kind of first got started ahead had a buddy, went on and talked about Resident Evil 4 because he knew that I was into horror and, and they kind of asked the same question, like what kind of got you into this stuff? And I was like, well if you have a name like Stephen King you either, either learn to embrace horror or you change your name <laughs> And I meant the thing was, I was fortunate enough to not have to have that real decision because I just hit the ground running. It's the weirdest thing because a lot of people would think that it just kind of was like an inherited thing. Like you start reading stuff, you kind of get into it. And I do love Stephen King's work, but it was the first, I mean, I go way back, I remember the first book when I was at Barnes and Noble. You know, I've had other books before this, but my first trip to Barnes and Noble, I walked up and I remember it was uh, Scary Stories to Tell in Telling the Dark. Mm. You know, oh. Stephen, Gamble, Stephen Gamble and Alvin Schwartz immediately attracted to those images, those ideas. And just off the shelf, grab that and the Encyclopedia of Snakes. So I go back (laughs) to the crazy animals, dangerous (laughs) animals and scary stories. (laughs) So that's where I started. And then from there, man, it was just like it was, yeah, love at first sight with a lot of this stuff. I mean, it was when I was growing up, you know, we we talk about this a little on the cast, but it was like, like, are you afraid of the dark? Mm -hmm. It was, you know, courage. I was always gravitating towards like the, the darker the the more uh, spooky subject matter, and yeah, from there it it just led into like those those movies that we got into. It was sci-fi originals. It was you know shit on TNT. (laughs) It was AMC Fright Fest. It was all these things that just you know, and we had that. You know, I worked at Blockbuster for half a minute. I wish I could have got in before they took over everything. And worked at a mom and pop, but you know, it was what we had, and it kind of worked in there. It all sort of snowballed into you know where we are now, and. Now it's like, I mean, like we talk about all these movies that are out there. It's a it's a new frontier every single day. You find a new thing. so It's unreal. Yeah, I mean.
1: Mine's Scott. not as romantic. I mean, mine's <laughs> not as romantic ain't. at all. Here, watch The Exorcist.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. I mean, apart from the jaws of it all, which got us together, and I wish we could find our old, like, the library books of our old alma mater of uh, Elkhorn. Because it was like shark books, snake books, and I don't know, whatever the hell he was written. But, like, it was Stephen King, Scott Decker, Stephen King. And we, you know, we wrote Jaws 5, which is about (laughs) five pages long. I got that at home. Uh, It's better than Jaws 3 Um, and 4. But, (laughs) I mean, we're getting into the monster movies. I had, like, um, the easiest gateway horror. My mom always had Scooby-Doo on or the original Universal Monster. So, Mm -hmm. Creature, Frankenstein, the whole business. They were always playing in my house. And I didn't really think anything about, like, new horror until... um, I was at a babysitter's house, and she had two beautiful daughters. And their beautiful daughters brought over their beautiful friends. And I was the only boy there, and they wanted to watch a scary movie. And I wasn't really initiated into the newer horror. Stuff. I say newer. is 1980. But um, Friday the 13th, and we were right beside the deepest, dankest woods you've ever seen in your life. And like it was just – I've been chasing that high for 20 years mm-hmm. now because you're <laughs> surrounded by women. <laughs> You're trying to act cool. And at the same time, the movie leapt out at me. Oh, no. So it was a sex and candy kind of deal. <laughs> like, I, it was it was perfect. But I've been chasing <laughs> that, like, first-time viewing sure. of a movie since then. And I'd never really thought of that until you give it kind of the criteria. I was like, what was my gateway? Friday the it's, 13th got me up there, man. And... uh
2: See, those are two magical stories. One, I could see where I would be chasing your dragon, too. <laughs> <laughs> Surrounded by a bunch of women watching scary yeah. movies for a first time. Awesome. Dope. Don't dream it, be it. <laughs> yeah. But you, for you, Steven, <laughs> I got to say, I find your your uh, entry origin charming and delightful. And I find you kind of lucky because, like... When you were saying you had those when growing up, you had those good entry gateways like uh, scary stories to tell in the dark, yeah. and then you had like, uh, "Are you afraid of the dark?" Oh yeah, yeah. See, growing up, we were thrown into the deep, and like we were thrown into like, "Here's tales from the dark side," well, you yeah, know. Yeah. So it's like I always, I almost kind of envy. Like people we younger know. than me because they had also that, uh, not no, t- not just necessarily they a smaller step, but yeah. they
3: had like not as big as a fall. Sure. Yeah. No, and it's it's definitely uh, one of the things about the Stephen King. I, <laughs> I, it took a while to get to that because I, you know, my parents weren't going to let me crack open Gerald's game after a kid's cuisine. You know, like it was, <laughs> I had to work. It was like middle school before I actually knew who this Don't guy was. Don't bother me <laughs> now, mother. I'm reading <laughs>
2: Eyes of the Dragon. Oh, man. Like, my, it, my, my tome of the stand is coming.
3: <laughs> it, it took some time, but once. <laughs> you know, once I finally uh Pet Cemetery was the first venture. I we talked earlier about but it was just That yeah. was your first Stephen King? Yeah, so Go it was big. How uh, how that's how adult old were you? Oh like sixth grade Wow! Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I could get it, I did. I mean, I would you know I'd go to the public library, but up until that point right there, you know, I'd always like teachers would stop and laugh a little bit. Sometimes I remember it like substitutes. Like, oh, you're not going
2: to read that. They would be
3: going through the list of the uh, the the roster would get to my name and they hesitate. And I'd always like, why the hell are you laughing? And, I mean, and then I realized, okay, so this yeah. guy is another guy. Yep. And then I put it together that he writes books. And then by the time I got to where they were actually on the shelf, which looking back, I mean, sixth grade, I mean, I'm I'm here for it. I mean, but it was past cemetery is the real deal
1: i oh. mean that was that's the first time i think i ever read about a uh, an hj back in the day and i felt s- like such an adult well and yeah. that's the when thing, that was occurring stephen king
2: has his very adult theme adult topic and he'll fuck some kids up in his <laughs> in his books so <laughs> yeah, like i can't sure. even imagine like and like my first stephen king was cycle of the werewolf because it had pictures <laughs> right yeah. But like sixth grade reading, uh, Pet Cemetery. That's impressive. That's like a that's an adult novel with adult themes. That that's that's pretty dope, dude. Thanks, man. I mean, I I'm I'm still here, you know, taking along. I don't know. I mean, yeah.
1: it, was, it
3: was a risky role, but we well, and we
1: that's did it cool. Yeah, that's if cool. popular culture has taught us anything, better Stephen King than Michael Bolton when it comes to having a same name. Yeah, <laughs> <I>
5: hear that.
2: <laughs>
1: But if we are talking Stephen King, that should bring us into our first matchup here in the round.
2: Oh, nice segue. Eh,
1: You know, again, ten years in, at least, (laughs) got a way to segue. Something. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, in the round of The Scream 16, we have four films, and that means we have two matchups. And our first matchup does indeed involve the, the great Stephen King with a gimmick that was big at the time, as our first matchup involves both Christine going up against Amityville 3D, so we're going to throw this out. Which of the two shall we talk first? Can we
3: can we talk, Amityville? I mean, I've got a story if you want. I just, I'll keep it brief, but i got a story to kick this thing off.
1: No, 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 no. Indulge us. Okay, <laughs>
3: all right. So this was several years ago. My wife, um, Tristan, of course, I didn't know her at the time. She was working at a local inn. So this was a really really cool spot, big house, kind of turned into like this giant bed and breakfast where you see some of these, you know, like each room kind of has a theme, you know, mm-hmm. they really doll it up. And it's a really nice little joint. And um, she was working there for, I think, several months before this happened. But one morning she arrives, you know, they kind of go in, they clean up the rooms, they just kind of do the, the housekeeping thing and then get the breakfast ready. So she goes in, she comes into work and the the woman who the lady who owns it comes up to her and says, we have an issue. Like last night, two people left like the, the big room upstairs, like the big, the, the number one room, they left that room. Like the woman woke up, the wife woke up screaming. They left in the middle of the night and Tristan was like, Oh God, okay. We, and, and they go upstairs. She tells her wife. they go upstairs, dead flies all over the bed, all over the sink, all mm-hmm. over the windowsill. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I mean, these were not, not one of them was alive. So she goes, they go in there, they clean it up and, and, you know, they, they run the vacuum on the windowsill. They get all those dead flies. They come out of the room, come back in maybe five minutes later, dead flies on the windowsill. Not as many, more dead flies. They checked the whole thing. And I went to the this place with her year, all these years later and checked out the room. Um, but they checked the the chimney, maybe yeah. some dead, you know, a bunch of dead flies. Who knows? Not a single thing that they could find that would, that would indicate... All these flies being there, so mm-hmm. in in the spirit of that, let's talk Amityville, baby. <laughs> no like hooker under dead
2: hooker underneath the uh, mattress or anything like that or uh, not a thing. This like room was in immaculate, the, man. It was you no know, like beautiful. blood stains in the the roof for dead bodies in the in the in between the the, jo- the joists. They didn't find
3: anything and I was That's like, bizarre. Well for my first thought was well did they check you know, they, you know, it's Maybe got cold, they all died, and then I don't know what would knock them down. But for them to be back there, not as many, but more flies had fallen in the time they were out of the room and back. Was it the
1: Argento Suite? <laughs> Was like- yeah. No, Ooh. that would be maggots, I believe. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, and again, if anything has taught us, movies have taught us anything, that means there is an Amityville or something happening.
2: That's funny, because whenever you see a whole bunch of flies or anyone like that, there's an Amityville yeah. house. Or anytime you see a house with like a weird face facade, yeah. fucking Amityville house. I
4: mean, that. I think you've told me that story before, but I feel like that you know two minute spiel was far better than the (laughs) ninety minutes I was subjected
1: to. So that (laughs) let's throw it out there. (laughs) Was this anyone's first time watching this particular movie? Mine, actually, mine as well. Good. I it was my first time viewing as well. Did you? How much did you know about this particular entry? Even what is your like relationship with the Amityville franchise?
3: I mean, I love a good haunted house flick. And mm-hmm. so the I mean, the original, like 1979, right, I believe, that was, I mean, that movie's incredible. And I love just that release of Vinegar Syndrome put out. Beautiful. Oh, I'd, very uh, nice. But um, the, as far as the franchise goes, I mean, it's, I think I mean it's the most iconic haunted house I I love the fact that kind of when it came out like that t- time frame right there like all these movies I think it was like like three years in a row four years in a row there was three of these things mm. and even though they like the third one was kind of capitalizing on a trend we oh, yeah. also <laughs> still had kind of like that that family values in jeopardy right there at the early early 80s the satanic panic kind of coming mm-hmm. back around so you know I've always thought they were super effective. It's like the family being attacked, and like it's something that everybody kind of has an attachment to. Whether it's not that iconic of a house, some of us have a story about an inn, but yeah. you know everybody's <laughs> got a house generally they can think of yep. that you know a home they would go to. And if they, you know, what would happen if that was. Um, in Jeopardy and so the franchise has as an idea and as a I mean, I
2: love it, but this entry
3: interesting, I'll say that. So, there's Scott, you 56 mentioned... there's
1: 56
2: injuries in the franchise, though. Unreal. So, like, yeah, it's unreal. just it's, it's
4: huge. Well, I mean, you have the original one with uh Daddy Thanos looking great, Roland just kills it in the first one, and then you have the second one. Which, diminishing returns, but still a solid film. Yeah. And then I, even you just look at the ratings, you're like, what the hell happened with 3? I think I know what happened with 3. They must have rushed this joint in there because Richard Fleischer, the guy who directs it, I mean, he's got some, like,
5: some classics. Backers. I mean, 20 yeah. years before, yeah. he makes one
4: of the greatest films of all time in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The year after this one, I know you guys are fans, Conan the Destroyer. Yeah. The guy's got a pedigree. <laughs> he's got I range. think they said, here's some things to throw at the screen. Here's some actors that nobody
1: particularly wants
4: throw some flies in there, boom, Amityville yep. 3. That's how I felt about it. That's
1: Well, <laughs> and so... Were you surprised then by at all by the appearance of like a young Meg Ryan, a young oh, Lori Loughlin? I was. I was
4: really surprised. They, I mean, they were fun.
1: They were, they were fun. <laughs> Some of
3: my favorite parts of the movie when they were just kind of walking around the house and Meg Ryan was, you know, kind of giving her giving her shit. That yes, was. They were I, the best parts of the
4: movie. With her
1: sex echo.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
4: it's
1: the denim, I think. There uh, is something she was something with playing the Mario, denim. Yeah. denim. Denim, denim, Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
4: Yeah, that was good. So did the 3D work for you at all? I mean, what 3D? There was, yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, there were some good spots in there, but I think uh, there were still 3D movies to come after this, but they were on the downhill. Yeah. So the big yeah. ones came out before this, and this is why I think it was rushed. Because it you know, came out in November of this year. Mm-hmm. Before this, we have Jaws 3D, which, say what you will about Jaws 3D, the 3D was probably better in the theater, right? And you had the year before with uh, Friday Part 3, which is just a gangbusters. It's Nobody can argue that. And then they're Fuck like, Shelly. hey. We- <laughs> I'll argue that. I'll argue uh, that. You're <laughs> the guests and all.
2: And I've been biting my tongue. <laughs> and I'll let you finish. <laughs> but just know the mean you were going to spar after you've done oh, no, Giddy up. no, 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 no,
5: no, no.
4: But I I just think that they (laughs) saw some money in the 3D thing. They got a pedigreed director and said, here's a couple words on some paper. Here's the house. I don't really think it has any, like connective tissue to the other films either well, It's really just funny stand- you should say that again <laughs> continue but well, i mean apart from that i was like what the hell's going on here yeah. like i was sitting here watching it going okay this is fun this is fun i kept thinking drag me to hell the flies like you, you guys were talking yeah. about the, the flies yeah. of it all i was like when's the old lady the, the babushka coming out you're going really, <clears> really reach yak in her it? mouth and shit yeah because yeah. i wanted that and then said we get like five seconds of a lizard monster that was unexplained
3: well, and I think the the key, one of the keys too, is that the house I felt lacked character. In the other films, the house was yeah, so was much something more yeah. vibrant in its own way. And I, yeah, this one was just like those brown walls. And, and I mean, I get that that was kind of more of a kind of after the fact with the the whole Stephen Kaplan story and everything, kind of the being the inspiration for this. But I, yeah, that was lacking for me too.
1: So anyway, <laughs> sorry, sorry, as he bides
2: his time, yeah, allow, yeah. allow me to retort. No, um, no, I 100% agree with you that this um, this is definitely not as good as the first one. It's but it, the part three. I got to go to its defense. It's significantly better than a lot of the other direct that comes after it. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the three D, I was there for Jaws three D in the theater. No, this one is better three D. Um, so, Soft spot in my heart for the big shark. I don't get it. me wrong. I love this. Yeah, I love Jaws three D, but this three D was better. I mean, just it didn't have that <laughs> wide mouth silent shark going Oof. through, but. Um, it's funny that you should mention that this has no feeling. This was the first one that says we have no affiliation with any other 3D. I mean, it said right in the trailer that no affiliation with the other Amityville movies. So this one is the catalyst of all the other 56 shitty yeah. Amityville Karen, Amityville douchebag, Amityville, <laughs> Amityville whatever you want. There you have it. I mean, I think there actually is an Amityville douchebag. What? And so, um, no. But I actually... I got to say, I thought this movie was significantly more fun than I expected it to be. And I remember watching this and actually having a really fun time with it. The 3D, I thought, was rather effective. Well,
1: and we watched it together that time. And I think the biggest thing for me was... uh, One thing we didn't talk about in the first round, actually, uh, the meanness, especially of the kill involving the lady in the car with the fire... Just that was
2: crazy. That was a really good shot, but it was it mean. Significantly more mean. Even when Papa Thanos is going around trying to kill his family, this <laughs> house seemed like this had a little bit more venom in his bite.
1: And that's just it. There was little moments like that that kind of surprised me, which I wasn't anticipating in an Amityville movie. But I distinctly though remember I saw the ending of this movie so often back on HBO back in the day. So that little five minute. We get of the monster with the, yeah. with the lizard monster. Yeah, yeah that burned my brain. That's yeah. what I wanted though, because more it has, of it. It though. has a great yep. poster
4: yeah. with like that three pronged claw and coming, coming at up. At I was you. like, T- "Monster movie, like, yeah. Giddy I'm here for that, 100. percent
2: Give me that movie." Yeah, and then at the end, they're like, "There it is! Surprise! And there, it and goes. there it goes!" <laughs> yeah. kind of like in Dreamscape when you want to see that snake monster yeah. at the yeah. very, very for the longest time, and you just get a brief shot of him at the end, and you're like. He's cool. Can we see more of them? Yeah. That's the one thing that really gets me about all monster movies when they have a really cool monster and they only show him for like a brief second at the end. I understand if it's like for if the rest of the shit is shoddy, but like give us a little bit more of that cool monster, even if it's up close. Right. But no, I. I hear what you say, and I didn't mean to say that, but I was want to spar with you. No, not that <laughs> But no, I will not talk ill, there, there have are the certain, Ill speak of uh, Amityville
1: 3D. I was going to say, there are certain heels genius will die on. I don't think it's going to be that one there. No, it's not that one, but fuck Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> well, from, from one 3D film to something that could technically work as 3D, uh, John Carpenter's Christine... We're going to talk about my movies now. Going to go into a little yeah. JC... But also with the Stephen King connection. Yes, sir. So let's let's start with that Stephen King connection. What's your guys' uh, background with this one?
3: Okay, so before. You know This was like The last three weeks I polished off Christine Again one more time All 650 pages of it Wow Just to You know Damn. Just to kind
2: of You know And it's You're it's, the wrong podcast player I, <laughs> Last thing I read Was a fucking uh, Comic book While shit taking the shit We're more liter Than literati You're over here Whoa. I'm reading tomes And shit hey. And I'm over there like uh, I wonder what fucking Funny thing I can do On my phone now <laughs> uh, He's very prepared Way prepared, more prepared yes. Than me yeah.
3: well, I, You know it's, it's one of those That's kind of like it, It's I think that the the story itself kind of gets a little bit of a it's it's a little discredited sometimes as just the haunted car i just say from the i won't dwell on the book because that's a whole other thing but i read it again because 650 pages in what 110 minutes it's such a task to distill anything down into a movie from a novel let alone a stephen king story and we're you know kind of talked a little bit out in the lobby beforehand about i think miniseries were a really good way to attack his work, um, with the Rose Red's, the Storms of the Centuries, all you know those move, there those those series back in the nineties, uh, maybe early two thousands, mm-hmm. but this you know the movie the Christine the movie, I think for what you know he was doing and how you're gonna translate some of these things that King can, he, I mean he's got limitless, you know he can just kind of. We can get in their heads when we're watching a movie it's like okay we're gonna have a killer car essentially but how are we gonna he kind of leans into more of like the uh it's a little lighter in some ways in the book i mean we don't see as much of that development of of arnie but as for what it is man i actually really enjoy christine i think it's aging well i personally i think you know the indicator put out a beautiful release and i I love the classiness of it and the art on that but the, the start the roaring start I can't get over it. Like It's just so good. I mean, you're sitting there and you're like, is my volume on? Like, you're looking at these titles and everything. It's like, OK, is there, are they going to have any music to kick this thing off? And they do, which is George Thorogood. Oh, yeah. But that card, as soon as it roars up, I mean, that's a jump scare for your first time watching Christine mm-hmm. anyway. It's right out of the gate. So um, I'm, you know. Stop rambling. No, no, huge fan. I I have a question for you though. So you
2: feel like it's a a very good adaptation? Do you think it's one of the better ones?
3: I do, and I think the reason why is because it's it does stray. You know, I I love the book, but it's an impossible task. You know, if if they were to try to take, and interestingly enough, that some of the deleted scenes, like most of the deleted scenes, are some of the stuff that I was as I was watching, I was like, shoot. I mean, it, it would be interesting to see this little bit of that and this and that. But it's almost like if you start to go down that road. It just kind of leads to the next thing and the next thing, and then you're dealing with what a seventeen-hour film. Right. So, you know, for for an the way you're going to attack it, the the route that he took, I actually really dig it, and I think that. You know uh the way that arnie's portrayed keith gordon mm-hmm. outstanding mm. job and i really do that the shot towards the end there where it's like oh, the way it's lit in that car he's oh. losing his marbles yeah, yeah. so good it, in
2: the book well in the movie it's framed as almost like a tragic love story between him and christine is it and that's how i interpret it the way right. it feels is that feeling portrayed in the book
3: interestingly enough like the book is more about um that's there you know the love for the car but it's so much more about the growing up and the getting older. I actually mm. really adore that about the book because everybody's got those friendships that they say will never end. And then when high school ends, you know, it's things happen. You know, you mm-hmm. you get in a relationship, you get a cool new car, you get a snazzy new job, you move away, all these different things. And then within a matter of two or three years, you're looking back like, I haven't talked to that person that I ne- I, I was attached to at the hip. And so the book spends more time on the little nuances, you know, between Dennis and Arnie and how that degrades, whether, you know, in this in this situation it's, it's a girl but it's uh you know a car girl <laughs> it's but it it's it's a really really I think an effective story in that way it, it's also a little it's more supernatural if you will I mean the car in the movie possessed right like it's it's its own beast there's more factors to that in this in the book that really kind of add more layers and there's you know way more characters and stuff but all in all I like think I said I think they attacked it well they did I think they did the best it took a good route because if they would have gone and tried to stay as 100% true to some of those things, mm-hmm. shoot, man, they would have probably lost you in the weeds in the first 30 minutes because it's just so much to unpack on screen.
1: It's his movies, I mean, his books are heady. You know, oh, They yeah. are thick. There's so much going on with him, which I know is why the adaptations can possibly suffer. What was your experience with it?
4: Uh, I'm glad to say that of these four films, three of them are first-time watches for me. Awesome. Like, awesome. I was really happy about that because that... That's a pretty big feat, yeah. and especially being a Carpenter film. This is just one that just kind of – I've had it at home. Oh, this
2: yeah. is a first-timer.
4: Yeah, I've had it Woo. on Steelbook at home sitting on the shelf for years.
2: <laughs> but I'll
4: say it's been Carpenter Fest here that kind of like shunned me away from it because, I mean, you have the conclusive bangers. You have Halloween, <laughs> oh, no. The Thing, mm-hmm. and Big Trouble for me, which are like perfect films. And then there are people reevaluating some of the later work and like heralding it like it's. It, I disagree with uh, how highly some of these movies are getting lauded. So I was like, I'm gonna wait for Christine because sure. everybody thinks very highly of it, and I'm glad that I wasn't disappointed. The movie, the movie kills. I mean, I had one problem, and it wasn't the possessed car. It's the fact that that smoke shows fallen for Arnie. I don't care if he greased back his hair, put on a new jacket. He treated her like garbage. She was a Ten, it's in the co- it's
2: it's it confidence, is. baby. And, and confidence is key. I get it, but he was a stone cold rat. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was an asshole. But you know what? I was thinking, like, maybe she's attracted to brains. Maybe she's one of those, like, what is it called? Like us. Uh, sapo sexual like, try <laughs> yeah. but at the same time he was kind of stupid too yeah he's not he's, very bright he wasn't very <laughs> not cool very bright. he wasn't very likable and she was a fox and you know what he had multiple and again like the friend the multiple foxes like hi yeah. and he just walked by she goes hey. well, like, well that's just it you when poor like oh, uh, when she's like nobody notices me and I'm like you're fucking a
1: fox oh my god but it's also it's I agree because I think this is that film that people always forget oh yeah it's a carpenter movie but then you get the lovely like Kelly Preston, yeah, as the put up.
2: upon as the put upon girl, yeah. as, and it's Kelly Preston. Nobody in their right mind should like besmirch Kelly Preston. Like no. and so if Kelly Preston's giving you the googly eyes, you should probably. Do, but he just walks for a And I'm like, well, okay. But it's
1: also given us like like this killer just like cast list of like Stu Charno, uh-huh. who uh, just one of the guys, Friday the Thirteenth. Part two, uh, we've got uh, the the great the great Harry Dean Stanton. Oh yeah, which, oh yeah. Which, oh man. So you just got like all these amazing acts So do, were you having like those Rick Dalton moments of just like, hey,
4: I, I really was, yeah, because I went into a cold. Like I knew it was a Carpenter joint, I knew it was a Stephen King joint, but apart from that, I was like, I'm just gonna go in. Yeah. Did no research whatsoever, and I was like, yeah, look at th- it, it's a just killer after killer of uh, the cast, but overall, like. I really dug uh, the special effects when they did show up. Oh, yeah. You know, when Christine's like... That was my uh, my other one gripe, is that Christine's just hanging out in the junkyard for untold how long at the very beginning looks like shit. And it's pretty obvious towards the end that she could do whatever she wants. So why didn't she just look real hot out there in the
1: junkyard? She, she's she's got to be motivated, you, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I Come think, on, Steve. Yeah, I young. think I
3: do, honestly. If, if I was to guess... So um, in the in the story or in the movie, George LeBay sells the car. Mm-hmm. The owner had died. His brother, right? Roland LeBay has passed away in the in, the, in and Roland's a huge part of the book, but he's died. So she's almost in mourning. New love, new
2: life.
4: Well, that's romantic.
2: How, I, Christine, I can get get her, how Christine got her groove back.
4: So she's That's, been
2: waiting for a while, and she's like, oh, there's a hot young me. She's like the, the new Plymouth milf, right? <laughs> and so, yeah. The Plymouth cougar. And so then, like, yeah, this is basically how Christine That's, got a groove back That should be the sequel. I'm, yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah, she, she travels to a tropical paradise, you know, where there's a lot of, like, tow, toll bridges and ismas and sounds. She can drive around and get around <laughs> like a night Rider, but for, like, romance and evil. I'm down. So question. What are are your thoughts on Ghosts of Mars? Choose your words carefully.
4: I will choose my words carefully. Uh, My mother watched that movie on repeat, and I loved it when I was a kid. And it is still a guilty pleasure. I think the movie, because I know (laughs) that Carpenter wants to direct his Western, and he's got to do it kind of twice with Assault on Precinct 13 and Vampires, he really tried to make his Western with this one. But man, homeboy with the t- what, big daddy, is that his name? The the main bad guy? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He's
4: just, there's a lot going on there. I will say, it is a big guilty pleasure. I don't love it, but I will sit down anytime it's on and be like, yeah, I'll fucking watch this. You, know? you have chosen? Because Pam Greer. Well. well. You've <laughs> chosen correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pam Greer is my girl. You've chosen really yeah. wisely. Oh, yeah. Such a I'll loaded fucking, question.
2: I'll, 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 Such a loaded question. Just, yeah, I fucking I'll, love Ghost of uh, yeah. Mars. I'll watch that shit all day long. Something
3: crazy, just real quick, I was going to share with you guys, because it hit me out of nowhere. I was reading that book, and I don't think Spotify should know that I was reading that book, but as I Uh I just opened up Spotify one day...
2: (laughs) The Christine song?
3: ZZ Top's Eliminator. I don't know if you guys... The cover of Eliminator?
2: Yeah. Why
3: is that showing up in my recommended... The cover
1: of that is the uh, 1933 Ford Coupe, bright we, red with the headlights. If we've seen Possessor, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor, we know why mm-hmm. so hey. that has happened. It's well,
4: great taste of music. Yeah, it's
1: well, great. <laughs> and then the music <laughs> is fantastic in oh. Christine. Yeah, yeah, the it shot really is.
2: When she's going down the highway, chasing after homie, dun, dun, all dun, dun, on fire dun, 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 with the music. Dun, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, well, and so the streets
3: on. when Moochie gets bowled over. Yes. like Just Everything well, about the wet streets all day. Beautiful. But, yeah. it's,
2: a, it's a beautiful looking and sounding movie. Well, and this
1: is the rare film in the early 80s where Dean Kundy didn't actually shoot the movie, which is oh, yeah. very surprising.
4: I didn't even look at that yet. And that's just
1: it. No, and you make that assumption that it's like him or Gary Kibby were the two people that he usually mm-hmm. worked with most. So, yeah, so actually to see it, he just knows how to, to, to wring the vision out.
4: I really dug it, but it was kind of a weird outlier. Like, I can look it's at a lot of these other movies and go, Carpenter did that. Yeah. Carpenter did that. I can see why he did that. I'm not
2: saying this was a paycheck movie. It, it, it was, was a paycheck, paycheck movie. Okay, I didn't want it to be a It was a 100% just did it for money. Oh, it, it, man. Because that the, makes me feel better. Because, because it came out, like, yeah. the book was not even done When this movie was coming out, I guess it's out
4: of like kind of the theatrical not so greatness of the thing, so he needed to do something. Yeah, this is basically his journeyman uh, journeyman project. Okay, well, but at the same time, he
2: fucking killed it, though. Yeah,
3: Yeah, listen to him talk about it on the commentary, and he actually he talks about it fondly. Mm -hmm. Like he he had fun with it. I mean, it was definitely not a you know too much of a a labor. You know, he Mm, really embraced
1: the story. No, it's it's kind of perfect that way. So, other thoughts on Christine before we start battling it out? I think I'm good. Let's fight! So, in the round of The Scream 16, we have two bits of criteria, and uh, the first one is so nice, we do it twice, we are going to ask, which of the two films is closer to your heart?
2: Closer to the heart. I had to go back to Buck, because I couldn't remember what impression I did, so I'm going back to fucking Buck Flowers.
1: When in doubt, go Buck.
2: When in doubt, call up the Buck. Book stops <laughs> <Book's dub's> here. <laughs> I got to remember what impressions I do. Because I know okay. I did Paul Lind.
1: You've got the Paul Lind, you you got, got the Buckflower. I got the Jason Stephen, I
2: got that. I got to go back to Holly uh, Horrorwood Squares <laughs> and, and see what. And, see the see. The and, and the capital of Nebraska is Lincoln.
1: Always Shadow Stevens for the win. So, going to lay it out for you two first. Uh, Steven, which of the two films?
3: I'm going to have to go with Christine. You know, it's yeah. just one that, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's a sneaky carpenter Jim, in my mind. And it's just. a... A really cool adaptation from a book that I really, you know, it's an author that for some reason or another, I just can't get away from the guy. He is, uh, and I, yeah, so I I really enjoy it. I've always, I've always loved to see the, the the adaptations that come out and see how they stack up. And this one unique enough to, I mean, really just kind of set itself apart, but stay true enough to, to really, I think, impress the fans of the book. Totally works. It totally works.
4: Yeah, I got I got to follow suit there. I mean, you heard what I uh, I kind of trashed Amityville a little bit. I feel kind of bad. I think if I ever re- if I ever rewatch it again, it'll be like one through fifty seven. If I sit down and watch all,
5: of them. <laughs> oh, I, but, I, uh, that's, a, that's a daunting.
4: Yeah, it's a daunting. I don't think I will, but I'm just trying to give it a fair shake. There have been movies right. I said I'm not gonna watch, and I watch again. But Christine was a uh, it was uh, it was a big one for me. I'm glad I got to watch it first time for this. And uh, you got Carpenter, you got King, you got a. Uh, it's got some really fun supporting characters. Oh god, the car is beautiful. Oh. People are talking about how ugly that car is in the movie. I'm like, what are you talking? about? I guess nostalgia for sure. us. Like that- then, 20 years. Like if we're looking at a car that's 20 years old, it's a fucking dog. Yep. But if they're looking, <laughs> you know, looking at it now. Yep. Like if we're looking at my 2001 Sunfire, my first car, and I treated her like Christine, people think I'm off my fucking rocker. But if I'm
2: doing it for a, a Plymouth T- Fury... 2001 Honda Accord. Giddy up. Like, like, oh, well, uh, yeah. This car is
5: beautiful. Yeah.
2: It's classic. <laughs> so I get that. You well, know, boys in their cars.
1: Let's uh, just say my 92 Tempo, total cherry. Total oh yeah? cherry. My <laughs> 1987
2: <laughs> Chevy Citation. Mwah. So genius... As much love as I got to give for Amityville for Close to the Heart, because I remember watching it on Friday, Friday night with the 3D glasses and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Christine's always been there. I gotta, I've got i always enjoyed Christine. So for Close to the Heart, I got to go Christine on this one. And
1: this one actually is pretty tough for me because it's always how do you measure nostalgia with something you just watched for the first time versus something, again, you're mm-hmm. watching throughout. But I'm going to try to balance that out with kind of my my appreciation of the Amityville franchise and Just knowing you talk about stuff that's always been there, Amityville has always been there. And Carpenter will always be there, but this being it's the outlier of his, it's that one that I don't remember as fondly as like Big Trouble or the thing. So I'm actually going to be, nostalgia-wise, go with Amityville 3D. Now that being said, from the heart to the head, we're going to pose a question, and this is where interpretation and showing your work is important. But if you were to remove one of the films from 1983 which film would leave that year less than so let us start gentlemen on the side there
3: yeah and, and i think that you know as as i don't think that we could say that um i think those other what would that be 54 sequels would have occurred regardless <laughs> I don't know if that was the one that kind of pushed him over the edge to the rest of the sequels. I, I, I think for me with with Christine, that's gonna be my choice. But I mean, that inspired. I mean, listening to Keith Gordon talk about how he was inspired by John Carpenter to go on to his directing mm-hmm. directing career, and um, even old um, uh, Stockwell, John Stockwell, yeah. like, he went on to have a directing career because of John Carpenter in this movie and how much he shared and was able to to converse with these guys and really shed light on on how to make a movie and and without that movie you know you don't you don't maybe have those careers so i and that not to mention it's it's as it's being discovered more and more i think more people will see it as a very very high ranking stephen king adaptation that maybe maybe the the legacy is just growing with that in a little in a way so i'm going christine that's excellent excellent showing the work
1: there (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, sorry. They just took control of the the computer from Uh, Adam's uh, side way over there. So
4: So, uh, this is going to surprise you. I'm going to say Amityville. So while you were saying, I agree with everything you're saying. But we wouldn't get the three subsequent sequels, because I don't know about the, you know, 400 sequels afterwards, but, you know, the dollhouse and the ones with the inanimate objects from the house. It's I about have, time. It's about time rules. It's I, ha- about time I, ha- I have those rules. three in the Vinegar Syndrome box, which are next on my watch list because of this, right? Do you t- you t- 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 don't t- have t- those. Notes. You don't have Meg Ryan. I mean, Meg Ryan in an early role. Lori Laughlin, You know, you have these burgeoning actresses doing their thing. I... Uh, 3D was still I say big. I'm I'm putting air quotes up. It was it was on the way out, but you know, you still had another big 3D movie that year. And the only reason I'm not picking Christine is because I mean, we have a, an abundance of wealth of both sure. of those guys. So I think 83 is a little worse off without
2: Amityville 3D.
1: I like that good showing of the work there. I, that's appreciated. Genius.
2: I'm actually going to echo that statement and I'm going to say Amityville because here's the reason. Because w- if we take away Christine, we still have other killer car movies. You know, we still have other better killer car movies. Um, that's mm. my opinion. Maximum Overdrive is the shit. Fucking Duel fucking is amazing, yeah. right? There's a lot of good killer. The car, <laughs> Hank, <laughs> Hank. That is the best sentient killer car movie of all time, <laughs> right? Now, while Christine is dope, I believe there are better killer card movies. Now, that being said, and as I love Christine, but if you take away Amityville 3D, we are taking away a whole bunch of movies that a lot of people, whether put a lot of heart and soul into mm-hmm. or just for a cash grab, but a lot of horror would be missing without those 56 movies. So for just for capitalistic purposes only. <laughs> Volume. Exactly, because I'm all about value. I'm, I'm going to go with Amityville on this one.
1: And this one was tough for me to to really dig into because you all bring out excellent points to the to the point where I'm like shifting back and forth. I'm like, well, I really can see that point. I see that view. So this one this is actually tougher than I anticipated. Me too.
2: Yeah, I didn't think that this one was going to be as hard. So
1: looking at just the the, the the bones and all of both of these films in terms of their legacy, and I'm going to focus more on 1983 and it is looking at the abundance of 3D films that we had during that year. That year alone, I think we had like seven that came out. It's unreal. We didn't get that many killer car films in 83, and honestly, anytime you can have a, a collaboration like this where you have someone like John Carpenter adapting someone like Stephen King and making it that film that you always forget, oh yeah, John Carpenter did, to me, there's... Genuine genuine and joy surprising and finding it and going, shit, why has that been off my radar for so long? Without that, you don't get the joy of finding that next level of Carpenter movies. So for me, cool. it's going with uh Christine and by a count of five, five to, to three, three, revving her way.
2: <laughs> he, she runs through <laughs> the house like the car.
1: <laughs> Into the round of the Hateful Eight, we have John Carpenter's Christine. Nice. Which leads us to our last matchup here in the round of the Scream sixteen. Two totally different movies, wildly totally different,
2: <coughs> wildly totally Which different. Which is why I
1: like when we get to put them together. But we have uh, the Twilight Zone going up against Sleepaway Camp. Which one do we delve into first? You choose. Oh,
4: uh, let's do Twilight Zone first. Wanna play Kick the Can, Doc? Yeah.
1: So I'm curious. Was this one that you again? Is this a first time watch?
3: This is my number three first,
1: first timer? time watch. Yeah. So, Scott, first timer, Steven.
3: This one I had seen, but it had been forever.
1: Okay, let's, good. So, let's, oh, sorry, let's yeah. start with your first yep. time.
4: Let's, yeah, I've seen, you know, bits and pieces as you do, but I was really excited going. This was the one I was like, this is going to be the one, you know, the pedigree of every single director. And I liked it. I, I liked it. But I was expecting home run after home run. And I know that there are other Twilight Zone stories that are absolute killers. I've seen episodes here and there. It was weird. I think it was because the, the death on set and everything. Oh, yeah. A lot of people didn't come back for anything. After they were done shooting, they were done. No post anything. A lot of friendships. Vic Morrow passed away on the set and the helicopter crash and all that. And I think it kind of shows that everybody wasn't really there for their, you know... Hoorah! Let's do this thing. <laughs> and my goal, watching this for the first time, was I knew the four directors, but I didn't know who did what. I didn't okay. know the story, so my goal was I'm just gonna in my head figure out who directed it just by this. Right?
5: <laughs> I did the
3: same thing, man. You did? Yeah. I okay. Did so, you, I mean, you got it because right? I didn't back then. I didn't really know. I watched it way yeah. way back, so I. Yeah. So I was uh, the wraparound. I have to
4: say, the wraparound is my favorite of the entire film. The wraparound. You want to see something really scary? Is the best thing I think they did. But um, a very close second is the John Landis story, which Mm -hmm. RIP for Vic Morrow. Mm -hmm. Um, I was three quarters of the way through that, and I was like, literally any of these directors could have made this. Mm -hmm. And it was one line that made me go, oh, it's John Landis. That's when the Vietnam said at the very end, they're like, oh, we shouldn't have killed Lieutenant Niemeyer. Neither.
2: That is yep. yeah.
4: Animal House, the yep. end of Animal House of the end scroll. And I was like, there it is, it's Landis. When I look back at it now, obviously, all the language and everything, it's 100% Landis. But, And then we go to the the weirdest one, maybe, which is the obvious Steven uh, um, Spielberg, Spielberg one. Kick the can. None of these are bad. I'm just going to say that. Mm -hmm. I just had such high expectations because of the talent. Mm -hmm. The absolute sheer audacity of how much talent is in this thing. So I'm watching the Steven uh, Spielberg one going, oh, there's old people and young people. Old people want to be young. The young people want to be old. This is 100% the Spielberg one. (laughs) But... uh, I mean, as opposed to everything else in there, I was like, oh, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's super fun. But he, he got to make his hook, you know, a couple years after that. So, I mean, it's essentially that. That's true. Yeah, so. that's
1: true. Yeah.
4: And uh, the I think the most fun I had was the Joe Dante story. <laughs> it's very
2: Dante. It's, yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, as soon as I saw every character actor from the 50s <laughs> on, I was like, this is Dante, and it's super fun.
2: Once Dick Miller shows up, yeah. uh, that's Dante. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I
4: really thought that was the most fun of all of them. I mean, it was just wonky. And I thought the ending was a uh, pretty wild. She's like, "I'm just gonna take this lucky fucking kid with me." <laughs> yeah, and, bye. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna <laughs> do whatever. He's gonna be my, you know, rabbit's foot. And mm-hmm. then uh, the George Miller—that's well, the one I forgot. I didn't realize I forgot George Miller actually directed one. And you can't really tell that because there's no dystopian cars and Mel Gibson's nowhere in sight and no dancing penguins. So you couldn't really think it was George Miller. But that, I, I there, is the the
2: the there is the eye pop. There is the the zoom in and the oh, eye pop. Okay,
1: you will give the eye pop, and you get the
2: weird batman-esque
1: angles when it comes in yeah, the yeah. zoom
2: no i had a lot of fun with it but i guess i
4: shouldn't have put it so high up i was like i really really want to love this but I, I liked it
1: well no that's we you have been struck by hype hyperbole and like expectations yeah. built upon word of mouth yeah. you know because people will say twilight's on the movie best anthology out there it's spielberg it's yeah. land it's all these cats so I, I get how yeah, that works. I can see why you I'm got better right by for that. have seen seen it, but also eh. but that was the one you were most looking forward to, so that's kinda heartbreaking. Yeah, it really like, was, ah. man. Really was. But you know But I will, good stuff. I will also say that that wraparound though to me has just always been proto podcasting when yes. they start having those conversations. Yeah. Guessing the names and all that shit you do that doesn't involve pants yeah. on road trips, you know, of of passing the time. So yeah, always love that part.
4: Yeah, I, uh, a friend of our podcast. I was telling him about a an idea that Stephen and I have for a short that we're going to direct, and I was telling him this and that, and not to go into wildly onto that. But he's like, "You need to watch the opening of Twilight Zone." So I kind of. Got a kick in the pants there because I saw the really cool opening before this, but (laughs) trying to say that our story is similar to that, which it's not. It's not that at all, but I loved
2: that. Oh, that's cool. Check out Ari Scope. Is it on Ari Scope? Oh, yeah. The Road to Fright Fest. The Road to Fright Fest. So Joe Lynch and Adam Green did a whole little (laughs) series of like a kind of a parody of this where they sit and they talk. One of them is great. Where he's like, you want to see something really scary, and he turns into Daniel Harris. (laughs) And that is not scary at all. That is not scary. That is not scary. I do love Daniel Harris. Oh of course. Everybody loves Daniel Harris. Fuck it. I love Daniel Harris. But no, (laughs) they're funny, so check it out. They
3: are quite good. Steven. Yeah, well said. I mean I the thing is. Like with Twilight Zone, man. I adore that series, Rods. We talk a little bit; it's kind of a running thing, mostly, you know, on your end, Scott on the Cash, where you talk about, you know, your Mount Rushmore of comedy. If I was going to make a Mount Rushmore of horror, uh, Serling has a—he's in the hat for me because that dude—the amount—and uh, it's not all horror in the, in the Twilight Zone, but there's something about that bite size. Just beyond belief, kind of thing that was way ahead of where it should have been in the fifties. Night gallery, yeah. Night, yeah. absolutely yeah. But it's just so I could sit down and I was it two New Years' New Yearses ago where <laughs> just, they did the, the, the marathon. marathon. I was like, this is a great choice. <laughs> Let's kick off the new year with Twilight Zone and uh, you know so the movie. Like I said, it's been forever, and I did the same thing. Went through, tried to identify. Spielberg was the one that stood out the most, but you know the land or. Uh, Dante's definitely started after I watched it for a little bit. That one was my favorite, I think, you know, just kicking off there in the bar, you know, kind of my speed. That's a, I love that set, you know, and I really didn't know where it was headed. Yeah. Um, I will say after watching uh, Rink, those cartoons don't hit the same anymore that he was watching on TV.
4: I was act- I was gonna message you about that, but I didn't want to give you anything about what I'd seen yet. I'm like, oh yeah. god, this is danger. My favorite part of that was Kevin McCarthy losing his mind, eating like candy. Oh, and god. Like, cereal. You're when like, start
1: raiding everything. Uh-huh, yeah,
4: yes. like that guy is just like he's the epitome of cool to me. Like he, I, he always is just Kevin so. McCarthy
2: is the coolest cat. And he's you look so over, slick. he's
4: losing his fucking mind and scared of this kid. And you're like, what is going on? He was the one who sold it for everybody else was very good. But just when you see Kevin McCarthy, like ratting out that poor girl, oh, like this I was is, like, yeah. this is great.
2: Fucking Nancy <laughs> yeah. Carter, yeah. Mark Simpson. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. It was, I mean,
3: the, the whole, I mean, I don't say to circle back to it, but that, that whole tragedy on the first, the first mm. se- uh segment, I mean, it's just so crazy, you know, and, and, After that, I mean, it's crazy how much changed, you know, and how much like Spielberg went after it and was like, no, we can't do this anymore. As much as I love, like, you know, shoot from the hip, wild filmmaking, it has to have a lot. It's just, uh, what was that? uh, Cursed Films. Have you guys seen that series?
1: I did. And
3: I I I was not prepared to see the actual death. Dude, I turned it off. I just like walked into the other room. Yeah. They should have said something. They should have said like, hey, we're going to. At the beginning, They, they they show
1: him. you the they footage. They show you the film footage, oh, of and you it see It felled they, by the blade. It's, yeah, you it's see so them just fast. Like, oh, like that. I mean, it's, it's like
3: bad oh, news. Oh no! Oh no, no! No. Hearing yeah. the stories, though, like I mean, it's of, of like the folks that were on the set. I mean, it's it's I you know I'm. Glad all that got, you know, addressed, and now we're, we have some rules and regulations mm-hmm. out there. But the 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 actual short is – or the uh, the actual segment is really good. Yeah. I mean, – It is really good. But, like,
2: they, they should have said, like, hey, we're about to show you two kids getting oh, chopped yeah, up yeah, by yeah. an airplane propeller. Yeah. Be prepared. Because yeah. I was not – and, like, I'm a hardened and horror fan. So that shit doesn't, like, usually doesn't get me. But the fact that it came out of nowhere and they showed it Terrible. They, yeah. multiple times and kind of, like, I'm like – I feel like I'm watching Faces of Death, yeah, it, and I have yeah. no problem with Faces of Death, but you need to be I need forward. to be warned that I'm watching Faces of Death. Absolutely, yeah.
4: it's the actual horror story behind it, though. Like everybody knows the story that he's like, he did not want to have anything to do with helicopters. Mm-hmm. Like previously, like he always made his stunt doubles do all this stuff, and he's like, I, I'm fucking stupid for having do do uh, roped the into doing this. I oh, should yeah. have my stunt double do it, and then the inevitability of what happened That is... That to me is scarier than anything they put on film. Mm-hmm. Like that's just crazy. Yeah. You know, it's it's
2: like you
1: said it takes stuff... the movie
2: but uh, but fortunately you if you either don't know it or yeah. it's not in the film mm-hmm. so you can kind of sort of separate it the art from the yeah, artist, yeah. you know, the, the tragedies cuz like the same thing people are like, "Well, I can't watch the movie." I'm Like do you still watch The Crow? Yeah. You yeah, know, exactly. I mean shit happens all the time. It was while we can put blame, I'm not a legal expert. You know, we there's you can still enjoy a movie yeah. without Agreed. like watching like like oh shit. You know, yeah, it's
1: it's it's all about collaboration, right? When it comes down to it, no, that's totally understood. Yeah, this was this is one I kind of grew up with. And I know, genius. Very well, this much movie fucking made me cry. Goddamn it! Well, and that's <laughs> when we both took it in again. Being I'm closer now to fifty than I am to forty. I've you know lived a little bit. The kick the can both affected us, oh yeah, really in a different way.
2: Because we're looking at our own mortality and our own aging, and we've all had like things that we've dealt with the elderly people in our lives, oh, sh- you know. Yeah. So it
1: it hit hard. And repeating from last week, just last Monday, I hated it as a kid. It was the one I skipped through to get to the crazy Joe Dante stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now as an adult, I'm watching, it going, ah, oh, it hit damn. hard. It yeah. hit really so hard. So I enjoy your youth while you have it because <laughs> enjoy your cartoons know. with your skin and <laughs> <Skinner laughs> but like
2: at the same time that, that Dante one is my absolute favorite one because I love cartoons and I love the whole idea of like the cartoon and the real world switching like yeah. I have a full size poster of cool world at my house so <laughs> giddy up
1: <laughs> and I will say bonus points for the use of the Tempest video game sound effects in the background Mm -hmm. especially when he really starts going to cartoon land yeah that is some good stuff so uh final thoughts on the twilight zone there
3: yeah no i mean i um this one like i said i mean living up to high standards coming out of the gate um but you know i all in all you know it's i i do i do really enjoy it and just to kind of kick the can i mean i do you know i i laugh that one was when i got done with it i did really the, the first thing i thought was like what a like a sweet nugget in the middle of all this yes all like the this insanity—it <laughs> yeah. really was actual
2: real death, cartoon world, yeah. George Miller, and sweetness. And yeah. these
3: two old guys just bitching at each other over Jeopardy. You know, yeah. it's like,
2: how great is that? <laughs> I did love
4: the um, the Douglas Fairbanks s character who just goes yes. and lives his own life. Yep. That's... I mean, if we're put into those scenarios, I don't know if any of us right now could say what we would do. Right. But I love that he's just like, hey, yo, I'm a kid now. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> And I'm just gonna go do- I, I kinda love that. Yep. The more I thought about it, the more I really liked that little piece of it. But at first I was like, What the fuck's this doing in here? This isn't <laughs> this isn't what I wanted. But you know, like you said, you know, I marinated on it and it's I mean it's very good. Well I mean,
1: I'm curious though if you ever go back to it now that you know what to oh, expect. I- how that will change your viewing of it. I yeah. Is this will. one you would
2: go back to as opposed 100%. to Amityville? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Right 100%. on. Yeah. No, I'm glad because like, I again, I think this is, and I love me anthologies and I think this is one of the better anthologies agreed out there. This is just a really good, That's, now it's got nowhere near a candle the OG show, mm-hmm. but at the same time, this is a foreign anthology. This one is spot on and I will not sit next to a, uh, window yeah. uh with the on, on the wing a, of an airplane nowhere, yeah. just and i'll sit next to a window but not on the <laughs> wing just in case i look over <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> i
4: do love john lithgow but oh i mean billy shatner is up here he's, on that, right i mean the og one but he's Lith- he
2: gave it all there's something about lithgow's performance Lith- did you ever see the one did you ever see did you ever watch third rock from the sun yeah Okay, so their leader was William Shatner. Right. And so there was an episode where he, where the leader's come in to visit, oh, yeah. and he goes to Lithgow, and he goes, how was your flight? And he goes, it was great, but I swear I saw something on the wing of the plane. And Lithgow <laughs> goes, the same thing happened to me! <laughs> right? Is... And I'm like, that's very, very funny. And only a very specific few will get that joke. That is great. Yeah.
1: So going from a movie that it sounds like, you know, first timer, going back to it, of the three, I have to assume then... Are you familiar, uh, a resident of Camp Arawak? Oh, yeah. Okay. And Sleepaway Camp, a movie near and dear to us. Oh, yes. Absolutely. In the DNA of the show. Uh-huh. So, it out here. What does Sleepaway Camp mean to you guys?
4: It's funny. The first time I saw it was only a couple years ago. That, All of oh, these yeah. are relatively new to me. And was I good. 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 was it. Was it shocking? It's, it's really because sh- he showed <laughs> me the list. I go. I'm going to sound like a dumbass. But uh, no, um, it was right after uh, Joe Bob got his resurgence, what, 2018? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I work nights. Mm-hmm. So I'd always have to catch up on these at his house, mm-hmm. whether he liked it or not. And um, that was when I really, really, really wanted to watch. And it did not disappoint. And yeah. I've watched it a couple times since then. Like, I mean, I guess we address my beginnings in horror. Friday the Thirteenth. Mm-hmm. I mean, big fan of the burning. I'm, mm-hmm. There's a there's oh, yeah. a theme
3: here. I like these woodsy based horror films, <laughs> especially when they're having fun with it. We talked about the Prey. I went on about the Prey. That was that uh, release that the that thing gets dragged. But I love yeah, slashers in your um, your familiar your your suburban worlds. All that that's great, but. But get me some nature with my with the side of my my slashing because I love that I love just seeing beautiful landscapes and then horrific violence like those two things juxtaposed man it's just a it's I love the camp slasher to to just mm-hmm. kind of echo that and this is one of the top tier I you know of that wave sleepaway camps
2: slats <laughs> the, <laughs> the crazy thing about sleepaway camp and like there's so much on this little low budget pseudo sci-fi slasher that you can put into uh, a sci-fi slasher, no, that's just summer camp (laughs) slasher that you can put into it and read into it. I mean, I read papers about how it's an allegory for trans rights and pro and against trans rights. I've seen the commentary how it flips the switch on sexuality, I've seen how it's a uh, thing about trauma and dealing with family issues. But I've also seen things where it's all about Uncle Martha being weird as shit. And it's guy, where I come from, we call him Baldies. Just weird right, shit like yeah. that. So you can see it as a dumb 80s slasher with a crazy-ass twist. Or you can read all these weird dissertations about it. <laughs> you know,
3: I, it's funny because like, I've seen a lot of that stuff too. And it's like, to me, I've always felt like, you know, it's very... Op- like, so, uh, f- the character... Uh, is kind of put into a position that they didn't choose. Correct. So from I've always read it like, you know, this is an identity kind of put upon this person mm-hmm. that they maybe well, I guess you know, we we don't know, but they didn't get to pick it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, you know, that's I've always thought that it was very progressive in that way. Like that like the the outward chaos that comes from that, you know, you you know you're you're not allowing someone to be who they really are, potentially, mm-hmm. if somebody else, yeah. if somebody else is, yeah, yeah, putting that upon you, that's that's can lead to, to to issues and stuff. So I really think that that was. I really, I've always thought it was a. I've, I've seen a lot of those those articles too, where it says it might kind of go the other direction, where you say it's kind of like, you know, it's it 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 goes against the grain with um, um, kind of anti-trans and things like that. Mm-hmm. I've always thought it was not like. I mean, I, I've always thought it was a. Very big statement for, you know, a movie, you know, 83 saying like, yeah, identity matters and that you get to choose it. You know, you are who you should be. I will
4: say I was surprised that I didn't see as many, you know, naysayers about it. Like I see way more people like embracing it as like a pro-trans movie, which is spectacular. Now, mm-hmm. that's not what I expected sure. in our current culture and climate. I thought that this movie would get ragdolled. Because and when I watched it I was like oh no I really like this am I bad for liking it you know so I go and <laughs> that, do my that's research fair. that's fair and it seems like everybody's
2: no 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 this is a great movie it is but and it is a great movie but it' almost seems like it's like 60 40 or 75 25 yeah, where it's like <laughs> yeah. oh the killer is transgendered so they are saying that it's evil or or whatever uh, you want to put on it but like i said i see a lot more positive for it than a negative but those negative ones just like anything the more louder the negativity is whether it's it's going to seem like it's a lot bigger than it really is. However, I am glad to see that it is getting a little bit more of a positive spin. And a lot of these issues that we are putting upon it, we're not even thought about no, like the whole right. Romero thing. Romero was like, I wasn't trying to make a race yeah. issue thing. Yep. He was just the best actor for the job yeah. and I could afford him. And I wasn't trying to make it where it's the government was evil. It's just, that's how the story went. None of that was thought about. And I think that's the one good thing of a quality movie, mm. no matter how goofy and how silly, and how, like, we call them baldies, and people are getting <laughs> yeah. rammed rod with hot irons. You know, I, I there's still when you can interpret so much so vastly different things and have so many different conversations yeah. about one movie yeah. and none of it be the same. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the mark of a quality film. Absolutely. And I couldn't, couldn't agree yeah. more. You know what I got
4: from it, though? Are, is there camps for, like, people our age? Because I never got to go to camp. <laughs> And I think that that's one reason why I like these movies so much is because I never got that, that experience. That yep. Like I, now that seems super fun. I was always at work or always doing this or that when I was younger. So I kind of missed out on that communal like camping experience and but watching just it seems guys, so
2: you're ready for the summer. Count me in.
1: You know, you should have seen Scott just lit up <laughs> this room right now with I am a, all that for one. that. <sighs> This
3: what I really love about it and I think why it works so well. It is genuine to that experience too. Like you have 13-year-olds playing 13-year-olds, not 18-year-olds yeah. playing 13-year-olds. There
1: are legit this is one of the rare films beyond like this, The Burning and I think Friday 6. And kids get off. Little kids
2: get off like yeah. that group of 6-year-olds in the in the things that get like disoriented in the woods. Yeah. Which I watched is, the
4: behind the scenes, and he said that was the one thing he regretted about making oh. that movie was the hamburger children stabbed <laughs> to death. The, you needed the that. The little, I was ready for it. I wanted that. Yeah. I'm glad he left it in.
2: <laughs> Especially the time when they when she threw, when they threw Angela in the water, and, and Billy like, comes and rescues sand. her, and then you see those little shit kids <laughs> <laughs> the sand, yeah. oh, the yeah. sand. I'm like, everybody in this camp is fucking awful. Well, that's yeah.
1: just it everyone deserves their comeuppance mm-hmm. and from from Judy
2: to Meg to Mel my to God. everybody the well, people who didn't deserve it like the buff one they he get didn't away. get off nah. and, yep. and yep. Then the character. cop with yep. the fake mustache shh <laughs> He she, didn't get off either. That nope. was great. Yeah. Yeah. Aunt Martha is the only one who didn't get her comeuppance that deserved the comeuppance. Yeah. Why? Just the other day, I was thinking, Mar- Aunt Martha should be drawn and quartered of me.
1: <laughs> Isn't that awful of me? Why, yes, it is. And, and this is one of those films that is, <laughs> there's something wonderful about being able to have someone watch it for the first time.
2: Oh, yes. Because the, the sh- between that and pieces... Whenever we <laughs> get to endings. host Sleepaway Camp, yeah, oh yeah. it is my favorite thing to see. And just to, to, just to hear. hear the audible people go, what the fuck? Because <laughs> like, they are not expecting that end
3: at all. Yeah, no, that is one of the all-time twists. Yeah. All time.
1: And this is also introduced, at least for our show, our love of Mike Kellen, character actor yes. who, who plays Mel. The, In the creep away camp. Now,
2: you were saying how you love slashers and beautiful oh, nature. Oh, Have you uh, ever seen a oh. movie with Mike Kellen called Just Before Dawn? Yes, sir. Oh, I God. love Just Before Just Dawn. Just Before Dawn is the shit. That's a, that's a twist ending, too. It's I such... was not expecting that ending. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, that's... The knuckle
1: sandwich kill? Yeah, no, I was not expecting that at Elbow all. deep, my friend. Elbow deep. <laughs> yeah, but this one also, I was actually surprised by... Oh, not surprised by... I. I also came to this one fairly late in the game within the last like 10 years. But since then, it's been one of those that's on rotation.
2: We need more Judy Cosplayers.
1: Oh, that side ponytail. That I'm side telling ponytail. you. That side ponytail, yeah. And Big fan. I'm, as someone that also appreciates the cutoffs, like this movie makes me <laughs> feel. Know? Yeah, that... this is equal
2: opportunity cutoff. Everybody and had cutoffs in this movie. A lot of boy ass. A
1: lot of man, a no, hairy no man manners in this yeah, movie. Yeah, a lot true. of filthy
2: talking kids. That baseball scene. Well, just nothing a like tirade, but filthy words. Wonderful. Hey, James, eat shit,
1: li- shit and die.
3: Hey, Greg. eat shit and live. It's
0: perfect.
2: Yeah,
3: there's a lot of quotable lines in here. She's
2: a carpenter's dream. <laughs> Flat as, as a board, board and, easy and easy to screw. screw. Hey, <laughs> Bob, <bab-a-ree-bom. Hey, laughs> uh, nah, a Hey, Bob, a revamp.
3: no,
1: I legit love camp camp for this wonderful.
3: one. I have to ask, um, and I didn't catch this till just today. Um, Was it on purpose that this opened the same day as Amityville? Yeah, the exact same day. Probably
1: not. I can't because I know (laughs) this got like four or five screens on the East Coast. It was just such a small release. So low
2: budget.
4: Made more than Amityville. Unreal to think about then. That's even 1983.
1: Another time. Another place. Kind of hard to figure and ring that one in. That
4: was one of the things they said in the behind the scenes thing I watched today. Yeah. Their big like champing moment was like we, we beat Amityville 3. Yeah.
1: And yeah. Uh, giving me Sleepaway Camp 3D, I would have probably taken it as well. Oh, yeah. Now, Absolutely. obviously, a lot of love given to both of these films, but only one can make it into the next round. So uh, let's see here. Twilight Zone or Sleepaway Camp? Stephen? which is closer to your heart?
3: It is is definitely going to be sleep camp just for you know the i as many times as i've seen this movie and i mean the I just want to say before before i just forget to say it the kills you know you go to a slasher film kills a king mm-hmm. and when you get in there in this movie man the effects that uh, edward french pulled Ed off french.
2: just murders <laughs> Coconut
3: every single one i feel like is just a a crusher it's i mean you've got the boiling water that's money with the blisters oh, at bubble. Yes. You know, you've got that outstanding snake out of the mouth. That's a great. <laughs> That's I mean, so they built yes. the body for a snake out of the mouth, and I, yeah. I have to take my hat off to that. The bee stings. The bee stings. Yeah, I hate bees. you know that flying, and stinging insects. Yeah. They, I they terrify me. And so that was that one was personal. But every <laughs> single one of them was inventive and and interesting and fun and. On top of that, the realism of this movie, like you mm-hmm. said, the, that feeling of camp, that feeling of just like that you're you're there in it, and everything just clicks and works. And I go back to it every time. You know, you watch it, you still can't quite prepare yourself for that image, that the face. You know, everybody I mean, we talk about like what was going on there with the character, but Felissa delivering like, and uh, granted, a lot of that was all cast, sure. but yeah. her face that that she did was it's spectacular. It's I would say
4: the best kill is the one you don't see anything. Judy's kill? And we've just universally accepted that we know what happens to that iron. Uh, <laughs> but we don't. I mean, we don't, we don't. But it's such a perfect kill. I love that. It's the best one. Hats off to everything he did. But I, the best kill being the one you don't see, that that just speaks. Oh, chef's you know. kiss. Yeah, I'm just kind of glad he we don't it. see it, though. I don't want oh, to see no, the aftermath no, 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 I of don't that. You know, not. like, ah!
2: Because yeah. the way if he made bee gruesome oh, snakes out of the mouth, I can't even imagine what con catastrophe he has. <laughs> No, but
4: uh, a movie that has a 15-minute softball interlude and can still keep me, like,
2: entertained, and it's a it's winner. one of
1: the best parts of the film. Yeah. yeah. And so you're like, the real going. Mount
2: yeah. Rushmore of baseball scenes, not baseball movies. Uh, yeah. They need to have that, uh, Naked Gun, <laughs> Enrico Palazzo. yeah, oh. All comes into play.
4: Steve <laughs> <laughs> right 3. And then he hey! doesn't even throw the ball yet.
5: Uh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I, I could just see I could just see Mike Kellen. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. As the kids are like being foul mouthed in the baseball game. <sighs>
5: oh,
2: oh my god. But, no. So, um, uh, have you seen the the light covers, the little light switch covers of Sleepaway Camp? So you oh, know, God. so you oh, have, no, I have you oh, have God. a light a light switch that's like that, right? Okay, all right. But the, what it is, it's actually Angela, right here as a yeah as the thing and the light switch that you flick on and off.
4: I might need that for for my <laughs> restroom. Yeah, Yeah. And then she's there.
2: <laughs> I,
4: yeah, I might have to get that. <laughs> Think about that for uh, Christmas, bub. Yeah. It'll be it'll be in your stocking. So, Scott, which
1: of <laughs> the two? Twilight Zone, Sleepaway Camp. Uh, it's
4: got to be Sleepaway, sleepaway camp. camp. I mean, I, I told you when I got the news, I'm like, it's going to be hard for anything to knock off Sleepaway Camp. Unless it's just an all-time, you know, killer. Sleepaway Camp is just so much fun. Uh, across the board, everything about it is super fun. We had, what? daddy thanos we had daddy vader in this one don't we yeah yes, they're yeah, yeah, all getting yep. all the famous daddies in this episode <laughs> um no it's so much fun the camp aesthetic is like very real like, even though i never been there it seemed like it was just every one of these kids was that they even in the documentary like we were just at camp yeah and then they just shoot some stuff but uh the kills are great everything about it was weird to see the director only did like the Ooh. fourth sequel and yeah. like nothing else. Like handful. apart from Felissa Rose, a lot of these people didn't really do too much else, right. which is a shame. And I didn't re- this thing was not lost, but like essentially lost for a long time. There were its diehard fans, but thanks again. to scream factory and some yeah. beloved fans, like now it's a big deal. And that like kind of inches this one to win even more because the fans brought it back. And that's
2: the best thing. Love Perfect. it. Absolutely.
1: Genius McGee.
2: So, while I grew up watching Twilight Zone, the movie, I might have even saw that bitch in the theater. Um, I can't remember. But I always grew up watching. I grew up with Sterling. Grew up knowing Twilight Zone. I didn't come to sleepaway camp till well, I was maybe about tw- 1920, something along those lines. So, I was late to the game with this one. But ever since then, Jesus, I love hosting it i love introducing people mm-hmm. to it i love watching it it's just i see something funny and new i'm laughing with it and at it <laughs> at the same time with the fake mustache you can't help yeah. but laugh at it and it's mm-hmm. taking itself so seriously and the characters is <laughs> so goofy you're laughing with it so for that alone i gotta go to sleepaway camp just that is fair. Every time we get a chance to host it, it's I am fucking there.
1: The cutoffs are coming off, well, I mean, they'll come out regardless, but <laughs> I did. I was lucky enough to go to a sleepaway camp. I went to Camp Wildwood back in the day. Fuck all
2: that noise.
1: <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have a young genius <laughs> no, there to just, like say, camping. "Don't go into the woods, you know, bad things happen out <laughs> there." I did, man, and I legit loved <laughs> going there and seeing all the shenanigans that happened. Again, that makes my heart grow fond and I grew up with the Twilight Zone especially more on the movie HBO viewings all the time but that combination of actually having firsthand experience knowing those kids shenanigans I probably cursed more at my sleepaway camp at Camp Wildwood than I ever did because I was with fellow kids that's what you did so nostalgic strings are pulling me towards sleepaway camp and Camp Arawak now that being said if you were to take one of these films away which one is going to leave 1983 worse off? This one's kind of tough. So, Stephen, shall we start with it you? Is,
3: it is tough. And, I, you know, I just – I know I said earlier I'm glad that the, uh, the things got better after the accident, but I can't bring my – that's not – I would rather still have Vic, you know, mm-hmm. and let's find a better way to do it. I think for me I'm going to do – I'm going to go with Sleepaway Camp because um, the – First off, Felissa Rose. She's kind of had a <laughs> renaissance. Yeah. I want to just say, you know, so we all, we all love Felissa. And her coming back, her career starting off there, um, huge. And I love having her. She was just in one of my favorite movies of last year, Terrifier 2. Let's go. But yeah, <laughs> Terrifier
2: 2 is the shit.
3: Crowd That's cheered in yeah. my theater when it was, she showed up. My yes. It was, it just was such, she uh, didn't do
2: a dick. She's just yep. saying, like, hey, Felissa Rose. I was like, ah! Yeah. Yes,
3: yes, and that's that's a huge that's a huge I mean a tribute to kind of like the Joe Bob effect too, yep. like her coming back in that regard. So her career one, um, I already said I mean, it was one of these movies that I think has a lasting, I mean, legacy. You know, and that's that's kind of not in the year, but still, I, I think that's pretty important to see how this is one of the many movies that could have just fallen into obscurity, like these slasher films that followed Friday the Thirteenth. But it holds its own, and it really really packs a punch. We talked about it a little bit ago, like, the conversation. Like, yeah. we are talking about things that are important. Rather, you know, we people argue online about it, like, what does it mean? You know, are, you know, are you a fan, are you not? But the conversations are important to have. And, you know, it's it might be a few drops in a big bucket, but, you know, there were conversations had about, you know, identity and issues that we're dealing with now still mm-hmm. that wouldn't have had wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Sleepaway Camp, even if those were few and far between. And, you know, here and there, but it, uh, seeing those happen and, and, and progress, yeah. you know, every every step counts. So I think that is a very, very um, important part of the legacy of Sleepaway Camp. Excellent. Excellent. Always got to sound
4: smarter than me. Um, <laughs> I agree with everything you said, but I'm going to say Twilight Zone. Okay. Because, and this is just something I thought of right here, having these four big name directors purposely doing an anthology with sort horror and sci-fi is a big deal. Yeah. Like, I mean, at these points, like Landis and Dante had already done, you know, horror films and Spielberg made the biggest horror yes. film for a long time. <laughs> But, I mean, to have something like that where these three guy, uh, four guys are saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pour all this money into it, and it's for the fans. Mm-hmm. I like that. you know. In, in a time where everybody was going out and shooting a horror movie, the fact that a studio put all the money they could into an anthology horror film is kind of rad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate accident with Vic Morrow, like – leads to more you know securities and stuff on the set so there's something to be said about that but the fact that an anthology horror film you know made all the kinds of money that year and was lauded for what it was i think uh 83 because we have a lot of woodsy slashers that year that's the other thing is as much as i love this movie if we take it out of 83 we still got a couple of them Mm -hmm. still got a lot of them
3: (laughs) whereas we don't have twilight zone we don't have that so I just want to clarify mine. I said we'd rather have Vic Morrow, but those
2: kids do. That was. Oh, yeah, No, no, no. Of course. Of I, course. I didn't, I didn't make mention. Yeah, no. You monster. I know. That's my job. Speaking of <laughs> monsters. <Yeah>. Speaking <laughs> of monsters. Um, I 100% agree where you're saying, coming from, that sleepaway camp is important that we're having these conversations now yeah. um i think if the climate wasn't any different we wouldn't be having those conversations and i'm glad that the conversations we have now because of sleepaway camp that being said i am gonna have to go with twilight zone on this one and and a little bit on writing uh, what you're writing your tales and what you're saying um and i think the reason why is because sleepaway camp was forgotten for a long time it already was like it never existed for a long long time and it was until recently that it resurged and then that's when we have I think more normies are more familiar with the Twilight Zone movie and I think any chance to get more normies into horror is always a good thing a chance to let George Miller play with monsters is always a good thing <laughs> um, so, yeah, just because it already seemed like it, because even if you ask a lot of horror fans now, have you seen Sleepaway Camp? That's still a blind spot. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, if you ask, hey, what's the best horror movie set at a summer camp? A lot of us are going to say Sleepaway Camp because we've seen it. But a lot of horror movie fans even will probably still say Friday the 13th.
1: So just for
2: that, I'm going to go Twilight Zone.
1: And man, again, you all have. brought a lot to the table i need to do this first now just to get you all (laughs) out of my head because i do believe the madness yeah it's it's in the name and you know sleepaway camp has done so much beyond just being a simple little low budget slasher film to the point that yeah we also got two sequels featuring freaking bruce springsteen's sister first and foremost uh you got you know the the fourth one that brings felissa back Spoiler alert, uh, and something that probably shouldn't have that many films, shouldn't have that kind of effect, but it does. It found its audience, and they've been able to create an amazing community around it, and that's what horror is all about, is finding your people and just loving things. And with The Twilight Zone, yes, four of the, the biggest names in genre at that point coming together. Still. St- yeah, still to this day, although I'd love me at later, Joe Dante joined at this point. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, still but. Open. As was said, no film is worth dying for. And we lost Vic Morrow. We lost Renee Shin Chen and Micah Dinley, which, unreal, that, you know, a film... We love movies, and I know the miracle, you know, it comes to making a movie. But, man, just someone's death. So if The Twilight Zone didn't exist, I'd like to think that Vic would still be with us and those two kids still would be with us. And ideally, somehow or another, we'd find ways to ring in and make things safe. So my vote is going to go with the Twilight Zone, but it doesn't matter because by a count of six to three, slashing its way into the round of the hateful eight, we have uh, five to three. What's that? Five to three. Five to three. I don't do math on this That's show. Because
2: I was like, like a 63, like two. We four, had a missing vote?
1: Oh. No. Why,
2: just the other day I was thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if Aunt Martha could vote in this? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I even tied a string to my hand. <laughs> that Which won't means- do. That won't do at all.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Battling in our next round, we will have uh, Christine going up against Sleepaway Camp. And we... Could not have gotten there without the
2: Wouldn't it be great if the Christine like when you honk the horn it was the sound that Felissa made and it's like <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's terrifying
4: <laughs> I'd forgot every time I watch it I forget about that like deep growl. It sounds like, you know, behind Mikey Myers mask. I'm like, what is going on? She's having a full-blown something going on here. And I always she forget about six packs a yeah. day. And I was like, well, that's why she doesn't talk cuz she can't. Yeah. Like, it's, so ugly. it's horrifying, but it really kind of threw me for a loop every time I've seen
2: it. I go, well, "What's wrong with her?" Next time you watch the movie, watch she it. blinks Three times in the entire <laughs> film.
4: She did a Hannibal Lecter? In the it's entire unsettling. film, just three times. If take you out of the movie. You'll just start watching Because you'll just start
2: watching her like, will she blink? And she's <laughs> in there.
4: Wow.
1: But no, sincerely, you guys, uh, thank you so much for, again for taking the time to come. Get involved with the madness uh, with us. But also, congratulations on the continued success of the podcast, man. Again, you've got someone that is a regular listener right here. I appreciate everything that you guys do, and I will definitely be taking in more in the future.
2: And that being said, if we, if some of our listeners want to listen to you guys, where can we find you guys again? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can. You can find us there on
3: any any of the uh, kind of the major streaming platforms, if you will. You know, your Spotify, your your uh, Apple's uh, podcast. But yeah, as far as socials, it's Dirtbag Cinema, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, all the socials. Yeah, the dirt, if you if you wanted to send anything in, any suggestions for movies, we always encourage that. If you, think you want to hear us talk about, we would love to at gmail.com And thank you guys, oh. I really appreciate it. It was uh, it was a great time. It was an honor, and I I love to be a part of the uh, the madness this year. It's awesome.
4: Uh, once we super duper appreciate it. I will say in my outro though, how I knew you guys were all right the first time before I'd even met you. The first time I saw you guys host anything. Was when the Alamo was still up there, years yeah, and years ago, yeah. and a movie that was a first-time viewing for me, which was super weird at the time because Arnold Schwarzenegger is my hero in everything he's done in life. I was like, "Oh, they're doing Conan! Holy on the shit! Big Holy shit! Dude, that, that they're doing!" A... Okay, Go ahead, no, sorry,
1: continue. Sorry. I was yeah. like,
4: "They're doing like the only Arnold movie because I'm not a big sword and sandal guy. It's like they're doing like literally the only Arnold movie I've never seen." On the big screen i gotta go fucking see this and it was the first time i saw you guys do your uh was do it, your thing
1: but was it
2: on 35 by any chance i think it was yes. well, did we have a big poster that we gave away yeah i didn't get it yes you know what i didn't get it. <laughs> your first time seeing us it was, our first, was our first time hosting
1: really yeah yeah we were also just going to go We'd to the show go to and the
2: show and then the, the 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 manager who actually listened to the show was like hey I got this prize to give away, and I hate talking in front of people. Do you want to do it? <laughs> that is spectacular. And so we're like, they're like, "Well, because you guys talk for a living," or like, "I guess, I yeah, guess sure, <laughs> sure." So we did it, and it was like a, a ten-minute intro, I think, eighteen because I recorded our it. first uh, one was uh, yeah, and <laughs> so. Now we're now we're at a tight five. Yeah, but no, well, no that's, that's crazy. That's that awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm glad then we've come full circle to yeah. have you on the show. That's even better. Well, also just know you guys are always more than welcome to come on if you have anything to plug and promote. Absolutely. Now that being said, here in the round of the Hateful Eight, uh, we're going to come back after just a break and. Ooh, are we talking to the guys again? You know, we're going to be talking to Jeff and Rich from the Classic Horrors Podcast. Hell yeah! So we'll be back in just a bit. <sighs> We are back. And as we go from the round of the Scream 16 into the round of the Hateful Eight, let us again thank both Scott and Steven from the Dirtbag Cinema Podcast. Mm-hmm. And let us say goodbye, farewell, and adieu to both Anime DeVille 3D <laughs> and the Twilight Zone the movie. Oh man, guess we can go play the kick can no more, Doc. <laughs> Any other day, we may have been kicking the can right now. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out. We've got two others that we're talking. Now we're kick the tires. <laughs> and we're kicking the tires uh, into the round of the hateful eight. and as one door closes, another one opens. and quite honestly, when we're in this round genius, it's important to bring a certain amount of class to the tournament. And it turns something, out something something our podcast usually is quite severely lacking in, deficient in, many would say. And it turns out we have two of the classiest and cleverest gentlemen in the business who are always kind enough to come in and make us look good. Mm-hmm. Please welcome back to Nightmare Junket and Into the Mouth of March Madness from the Classic Horrors podcast, Jeff Owens and Richard Chamberlain.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. It is awesome to be back here.
6: Yeah, and I've just listened to your Undertaker and his pals podcast. There is no shortage of class in that. But <laughs> <laughs> so don't cut yourself short.
1: <laughs> well, we we class in We class up And we class out Yes, we do Yes, we do
2: No, seriously, guys Thank you so, so much for doing this again It it almost wouldn't be a March Madness mm. without Classic Horrors Because, like, seriously, you, you guys are
1: great the, and the, the seven years we've done this Mm-hmm We made one fateful error, one fateful year. (laughs) We didn't finish here. We didn't hear about it for the rest. So we're like, well, we got, we know we definitely don't want to hear about it again. So let's (laughs) go. (laughs) And beyond that, though, like Genius said, you guys always bring so much to the show. And also, technically, you're Midwest guys. So you're, you're so much one of us. It's ridiculous.
0: You know, it's doing this is like, it's kind of like become a, a tradition. Like you said, it's one of the best times of the year. I mean, we, Occasionally, we'll we'll do other things during the course of the year, make appearances in other podcasts. But for me personally, this is is the most fun doing another show besides doing our own. So it's uh,
6: fantastic to be back. Yeah, look forward to it every year. So thank you. And that's what's past is past. I've don't even think about that anymore.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we absolutely. We are honored to have you guys on here again and continuously yeah again. and if i
6: don't get a chance i want to say congratulations 400 episodes is coming up yes. uh and you know that that is a lot i mean we're at 70 something so we can't even imagine 100 much less four but when you talked about your first episode with starry i was like i listened to that so i it just <laughs> the passage of time is
1: just I, unbelievable it is unreal how it, so much has happened to like everyone you know within the film family the podcast family so much has changed over those seven years, seven plus and yeah. you'd think
2: we would have learned and grown
1: by now but as you see
2: <laughs> <laughs> if he's old get out
1: <laughs> well let tell our listeners that are not familiar where can they find you out all on the interwebs uh please plug and promote away
0: I'll start off and uh, say that I'm still doing my blog, monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. That is the only blog that I'm doing. Um, I did shut down Kansas City Cinephile last year. Uh, it got to be too expensive, and I found that I, I was doing non-horror stuff on there, but everything else was was kind of being on both sites, and so I just went with Monster Movie Kid, and so I continue to... To uh try to sync up the blog with the movies we do on our show. Um, kind of do an extras. So like if we've got a particular theme, I'll maybe try to to do a few extra movies that we maybe mentioned, or or maybe with the same star, producer, director to try to, to sync it up. Um, that's where you can find me when I'm not doing classic horse club.
6: Yeah, on the podcast, pretty much we refer people to our Facebook group page, the Classic Horrors Club Podcast. We've developed a little community there and have uh, conversations and tie that into the show and sort of spring out into other areas from there. You can find anything either one of us is doing on that. And that's the first place you can hear the podcast when it comes out.
1: Perfect, perfect. and. One of the things that we're looking at, because at this point, we've always had you guys come in with the 40 year mark. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with our I'm not going to say our advanced status in, uh, you know, the, the the years we've been on this planet. But, but I you like guys to think also
2: classic horrors. I mean, yeah, it's, it's your wheelhouse.
1: Yeah.
6: yeah. Well, and there you go with, you know, I, we've probably talked before about what is classic and what's not. I mean, it's changed in the years we've been doing this. You know, I don't know that. When we started, I we kind of would steer away from the '80s and Christine or Sleepaway Camp wouldn't even talk about. it. now, I think they're bona fide truly classics, you know. It's only- I was just
0: seeing the other day Turner Classic Movies. Some people are complaining because they're bringing movies from the '80s and '90s in. It's like those movies are 30 and 40 years old, and and so the, I think Ben Mankiewicz said it in an article. He's like. We've got to keep redefining ourselves as well, because these movies, if they're 40 years old. They're classics mm-hmm. They're If you think about when Turner Classics started in the 90s, movies in the 50s yep. were, mm-hmm. were 40 years old, you know, and they were playing stuff in the 50s and 60s and even the 70s. So, yeah, I think I think we we've got to adjust it. And we've crept into the 80s from time to time. And I think, you know, as as uh, we still we've got a lot, you know, a pretty broad spectrum of films to choose from but we don't have a problem going into the 80s in fact i mean maybe we'll you know do it again you know as we go back to like our summer at the drive-in series it seems like we've kind of ventured i think in there once or twice into the 80 realm so but it's always fun to come here and talk about these movies because um, i'm not sure we would talk about sleepaway camp on our (laughs) show um (laughs) So I love the opportunity to talk about stuff that we wouldn't do on our
2: show.
1: Well, I know with American Graffiti, they ask, where were you in 62? So with Into the Mouth of March Madness, I'm going to ask, where were we in 83? Before we go into
2: March Madness, two things I want to talk to you since we've just, uh, since it's been a year. One, did you see that they're putting Martin on 4K? I immediately
6: pre-ordered that. (laughs) I love Martin.
2: Because that's the one that we all kind yeah, of discovered in a roundabout way. Seven years ago. Yeah, seven yeah. years ago. Yeah. That's crazy that it's been that long, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. So I thought that was like I thought that was awesome. And then there was something else that I was gonna tell. Oh, yes. Classic horrors, you guys deal with a lot of sixties and seventies. Have you ever seen Death Games? Oh god.
1: No. Oh, not sure all that I have. Uh, from 77, I believe, it's got Sandra Locke, Colleen Camp. Camp, and Seymour Cassell. Oh, it's my the, God. It's the one that they made a remake with Keanu Reeves. And de Armas. Yes. We did it for a Friday Night Fright, and I, I'm... i <laughs> I How can I explain?
2: I was so angry at this movie, I almost walked out, but then oh, the wow. last 10 minutes, totally just like switched my entire opinion on the entire movie.
1: I wouldn't even say the last ten minutes. I said like two ten minutes. seconds actually. La, yeah, like, last
2: maybe the last twenty seconds of the movie. And I was like, this movie is great.
1: And like I can't get this song out of my head. So I, I cannot recommend it enough. I think hmm. it got a boutique Blu-ray release as well here this year, which is I think why we were able to kind of screen it. It's it's a 70s movie my jaw dropped on the ground i
2: was just like what the fuck just happened <laughs> i mean i literally he almost walked it. out of the theater but then like all of a sudden like in the movie theater and we're pretty good with etiquette but i remember like, what the <laughs> fuck you know just like out loud loudly but
0: before we... we started recording we were talking about how there's still so many movies yes. being discovered and what was it the uh, the woodland Days and dark thing. I always forget the title of that. That big long documentary that's on Shutter. Was it
2: Dark as the Night or something like that?
0: Yes. I mean, that's just that. That's the kind of documentary you sit there and just write down that name and that name and that name. Mm -hmm. And I loved how they put a lot of those movies on Shutter because those some of that stuff was you know from from was it Poland and and (laughs) European countries. These films that you know, even just a few years ago, good luck finding it. And if you did, it was a, you know, fifth generation VHS copy that was smuggled uh, on the back (laughs) of a borough crossing the border, uh, or in another part of the borough. So, now that it's on Shutter, it's kind of cool. I I think we live in kind of a cool age Mm -hmm. to to discover these films that, you know, we've never heard of.
1: And all the the ones that are getting these boutique Blu-ray releases, it's unreal. Movies that I've never heard of, but have, you know, developed a cult following. And that are
2: getting discovered, like yes. Amusement
1: Park, like that one. Oh.
2: Um, oh, I won't go too much into Amusement Park. I don't want to. Bring everybody down, but like <laughs> that one Linnea Quigley movie that was discovered Heart of Darkness, Heart of Dark, Heartland of Darkness. Yes, Heartland of Darkness. So, like all these movies that are getting discovered and reevaluated, refound, and then put on Blue Teague Blu rays and old movies, like you said, that have been smuggled out of the Eastern Bloc and you have to have a special adapter to play it and there's all <laughs> subtitles, but they're all in Czechoslovakian, right? Those are getting those weird releases and people are oh, opening the masses. Like you're saying, pr- prime example Eyes of Fire.
1: Oh, yeah. Eyes of yeah. Fire,
2: we have, we've always wanted to be like, what the hell is that? And then finally it's on Shutter. I fucking adore that movie. That movie is yeah.
1: slick. Shot in Kansas City, Shot it turned, turned out. Excelsior Springs. Yes. Really? Yes. I didn't yes. Know that. Ooh, Weird nice. local connection with that one. But that's the beauty of, again, exploring genre and mm-hmm. horror and never being satisfied you know never being complacent with seeking things out it is so well worth to have these discoveries especially this late in life Mm -hmm. when we all are fairly well-seasoned horror fans yeah it's nice when you go oh i've never heard and it's 30 years old how come i haven't seen this yeah I, i think i've reached
0: you know the point where i've accepted the fact that you know okay i've got probably fewer years ahead of me than i do behind me And I'm not going to get to see all the movies on my to watch list. And I think I'm okay with that because it's like you always know that you've got something new coming up. You can revisit those favorites as Mm -hmm. as many times as you want. But it's nice that you can discover something new. And then some documentary comes out and like, hey, this was a subgenre that, you know, it has 50 films from, you know, Outer Mongolia that are now (laughs) available in, you know, 4K high definition box set you know, complete with 100-page booklet and a poster. So
1: you gotta love it. And by the way, here's Edgar Wright with a commentary because it's one of his favorite films of all time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, We we do live in a grand age that I definitely try not to take for granted just in Uh, terms of having access to all that. A new
2: golden age of horror.
1: Indeed, indeed. You know what was the golden age of horror? 1983. Indeed, (laughs) indeed. So Jeff and Rich, by any chance, tell us, where were you back in 1983
6: you want to go with age or beauty first rich <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead, uh, i guess either way i go first so oh, wow. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh we're being honest about our ages i was in midway through college uh i was t- summer of 83 i had just finished my sophomore year of college um
1: how much detail do you want oh oh, oh college come on now that's the that's, dirty that's the good stuff <laughs>
6: yeah so th- that was an interesting time and um because christine like is was a, a i had to go to the theater and see it when it opened you know that was the kind of that was a a good time for movies in the theater and i've been thinking a lot lately because i've been rewatching mid 80s movies that i did not like the first time and now i really enjoy them and i think that we had such quality movies in the eighties that if at that time, if I saw anything of a lesser quality, I didn't think it was any good. Um, I didn't see Sleepaway camp until years later, but a lot of those mid eighties like horror comedies, especially when you're comparing it to Christine or a, a poltergeist mm-hmm. or, you know, things Spielberg was doing at the time, there's a different difference in quality. And I was quite frankly, a snob back then, I guess, <laughs> Um, But I'm enjoying rediscovering these movies and uh, yeah, we'll get more into that, I'm sure.
1: Well, yeah, but there is something to be said, though, about seeing why we love revisiting films is the baggage that you carry is so much different now and you know, your experiences have varied and your perspective has changed so much. So I'm I'm glad that you're open. To revisiting those ones that you yeah. weren't necessarily big on the first time
2: perfect example back in the day we would identify with the punks and return of the living dead part yeah. one yeah. now we're over there well you know bert he's trying to try his best for <laughs> the job he's doing you know <laughs> wouldn't be, if those punk kids didn't like wreck his day things would be doing fine
1: it totally works rich how about yourself
0: Well, I was just a babe. Uh, (laughs) I was a freshman in high school. Um, So summer of 83 would have been between freshman and sophomore year. So I was still, you know, my horror movies were what I would see on HBO at night when I would turn that dial on the black and white TV. So the scrambling would tune in better Um, (laughs) because my mom and dad, you know, would would definitely like, you're not going to an R-rated movie until you're 17 because uh, I would get corrupted and, you know, go down a horrible, dark path. And so what they didn't know is I was already going down that horrible, dark path. I was just doing it in the comfort of my basement bedroom. So, yeah, 1983, you know, I, my, I was still discovering a lot of... I was watching a lot of modern horror that was popping up on HBO, and I was, I was you know, watching the Slasher flicks, and I was enjoying it. And I was also appreciating the classic stuff. Um, but, it you know, you think 1983 pre early, early days of VHS and we didn't have a VHS player. So you were kind of stuck with whatever you were watching on TV. And so for me, I think I've said this in years past, my, the most of my horror stuff came from Creature Feature with Cremation Mortem Mm -hmm. on, on Saturday nights. What she was playing was my main exposure. And then what uh, you would occasionally see uh, on channel 41, the rest of the week or channel 17, you know, Superstation TBS was doing a lot of uh, Hammer Horror, I remember, on the weekends. And so that's where you could get a lot of the Hammer and a lot of the British stuff would be on, like, Saturday mornings and Saturday afternoons. So I was still, you know, discovering what was out there. And a lot of the 80s movies, if they didn't pop up on HBO, I'm still discovering them now. Like Sleepaway Camp that was i didn't watch that for the first time until a few years ago when it was on that first joe bob marathon Mm -hmm. when he did that you know, know how many movies it was eight movies whatever nine movies and i was aware of it i had heard about it i had kind of idea of what the final scene was about but i had never seen it uh christine i did see you know and i know we'll probably you know talk about our experiences with it but i was familiar with christine sleepaway camp was one of those that didn't pop up on hbo and so unless i rented it which i did do some movies but sleepaway camp was probably not at the top of my list and so it kind of fell off the radar you know until you know the last couple of years when i've seen it and now i've seen it you know i think two or three times Yeah, it's one wonder- well, here's
6: the other thing too it's kind of like apples and oranges because christine was widely distributed you could see it in the theater no matter where you lived Sleepaway Camp, I wasn't even aware of until probably a decade later in the video store, you know, when you saw it on the shelf. And again, with my snobbery, I never would have watched it, you know, but um, that so it's I don't know. They're very different um, associations with each of the films and a whole category of films that you know belong with each one of those.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. In fact, I will say this when it came to putting together my own personal bracket. These two films were the ones that I was talking about, at least in my bracket, for the Hateful Eight. Yeah. And I think it's because primarily when you look at what we had in 83, these are the two, I'd say Christine's like the most populist one. And then, you know, Sleepaway Camp is just, it's that East Coast royalty kind of thing.
2: It's it's Caddyshack. Yeah. It's Caddyshack. It's It's snobs versus slobs. slobs. I mean, (laughs) seriously, because Christine, I don't want to say it's like (laughs) premiere, but at the same time... budget wide theatrical release brand name director it's judge smales right versus hey
1: who's ready to <laughs> camp and party right <laughs> so i'm gonna leave it up to you gentlemen which one shall we delve into first uh john carpenter's christine or robert hiltzik's sleepaway camp
6: i have both christine yeah,
0: let's start with Christine and, and kind of you know, work our way into the sleazier part of the show. We'll start high
1: and we'll yes. go low. <laughs> yes. So that is where do we that's where we start. You both mentioned you did catch this one in the theater, correct? I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it on
0: HBO. OK, um, I had read the book. Um, of okay. course, you know, Stephen King was huge at that point and I was loving Stephen King. So every book that came out, I was devouring it. So I was familiar with it, and then I saw, saw it when it popped up on HBO probably, what, a year after it was in the theaters? That was about the average turnaround
6: time was about a year. And what's so interesting to me about it, you mentioned Stephen King was big, and he was, and that at that time was probably one of the main reasons to see it. Uh, versus rewatching it now, you know, it's John Carpenter's Christine. And then you think, oh, yeah, you know, maybe we hadn't quite realized then. I mean, he had made Halloween in the fog and we knew he was great. But uh, now he certainly has a much bigger catalog. And and that John Carpenter's Christine means a little more. Mm hmm maybe even then Stephen King's name being attached to it. I think
0: when you have a movie and then Stephen King's name in the same sentence, you immediately have some some preconceived notions because, okay, the law of averages is against you having a good time with a Stephen King movie because there's a, especially you know a lot of those low-budget TV adaptations they did in the 90s that had bad special effects in the 90s and just don't hold up at all today. You know, yeah, but this tech- was earlier
6: I mean we they, he had a pretty good track record here uh so far with Carrie and uh, yeah I can't remember what else but well, he had yet
0: Shin- Carrie at Salem's lot both of those were yep. great adaptations uh, the, Shin-in. the, the Shining, the shining mm-hmm. was not a great adaptation because it's so different from the book but it's you got Jack Nicholson in, in the movie in itself is a different beast but I think it you know that's a classic I think the Dead Zone had came out did that come out before or after i think that one was after that was after After. then he had he had like dead zone and kujo around that same time period so
1: yeah it's well and that's looking in the early 80s i mean it was stephen king was everywhere i mean normies had his books in their bookshelves it was just they're in school libraries yes yeah I, i checked out pet cemetery in my middle school library and like i said it was my first time of reading about someone getting an H.J. in a bathtub, and I thought- Were like, they
2: sad H.J.'s? Was it was it it Patrick? Wasn't a Patrick? It oh, wasn't okay. a Patrick,
1: but it was, it made me, his books always made me feel like an adult. Like, I, I felt like I was coming of age reading his films, which is appropriate given a lot of the Coming of age in his books, his yeah. Because Christine, yeah. if anything, is a coming of age movie. A love story. It's very much a love story, so I'm, I'm curious now, now that we've- Got a little bit of different baggage since backing you No know, in '83. What was it like revisiting it this time?
6: I've always loved this movie. I don't, I can't really put my finger on why it's probably the nostalgia or whatever, but it is yes. today even just a solid movie. It looks exactly. beautiful.
5: Yeah,
6: uh, I noticed the things about what's interesting about John Carpenter's involvement was you know, this wasn't one of his pet projects. that mm-hmm. He was a hired hand to direct this movie and it's interesting he was developing Firestarter and the only reason he could do this is because it stalled out. But you recognize so many of the shots that he uses and his style is very clear but it's just so polished. Every shot is just staged well and the effects are fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's surprisingly little gore. I mean there's virtually no gore at all. Um But it it, I think it stands up. It's just, uh, it's just solid. It's like comfort food for me, you know. It's it, it's reliable. I don't know that it has any peaks or valleys, you know, to make it really stand out among other movies. But I adore it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, for me, this is actually my first revisit in like forty years. Oh, of this movie. um, I I saw it probably twice maybe three times on HBO because back in the day you know they play the movies non-stop so you you know mm-hmm. you inevitably <laughs> late at night flipping it on you're going to watch it again right but after that I have not revisited this and part of it was because I had just read the book and I know that the book is a little different than the movie um, Jeff and I were talking about that just before we started recording with you guys that and I can't remember the specifics, but I remember at the time I liked the book better and I'm like, I didn't want to revisit the movie. And so here we are 40 years later and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll sit down and watch it again. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now the memory of the book is 40 years back. Those brain cells have probably died off. (laughs) I can't honestly tell you what the differences were. So for me, it was almost like a first watch i remembered aspects of it but other parts you know i it was like i couldn't remember what was coming next and i thoroughly enjoyed that because it really was like watching a, a a new movie in a lot of ways i was surprised um you know of course john carpenter's music always plays such a huge part in the movie but i was kind of surprised how to me it seemed like it took a while for that the music mm-hmm. to come into play mm-hmm. i'm like Okay, I mean, I remember the '50s music, but I'm like, hey, where's John Carpenter's music? You know, like, and then all of a sudden, of course, you know, once once you turn that corner, and then it's like, okay, there it is, and then yeah. it plays a pretty
6: big part for the rest of the film. Um, I did I, want I, to mention the soundtrack because, uh, yeah. uh, and I I always associate uh, the the movies packed with songs from the past with the Big Chill, and I think that it came out actually this same year, yeah. so this i don't think this was mimicking that and there are movies before this that had songs i mean american werewolf in london but uh, the big chill was just a big i think it's because the soundtrack sold so well and but that's really when that became a thing to pack your movie with these songs and i had forgotten that this movie does that and uh, yeah to the uh to lessen carpenter score but when it kicks in it's it's familiar it's well, and it, it really—that it's interesting—that shows how how effective his music is because it's used in those parts where the car is chasing down people, and it's the suspense and the, you know, the throbbing beat. Oh.
0: The, the use of the old music reminded me of uh, "Stand by Me." Uh, music yeah. plays such a huge part in that in that film, and and again, you know, Stephen King, you know, he when he's putting, uh, he when he's writing something in a time period music is always a part of the story somehow. And so I think that that plays such a huge part in Christine. It is good that you get the snippets of music and then, you know, again, you turn that corner and then, okay, now John Carpenter enters the scene and <laughs> things are taking a turn. Yeah. Um, I, I I appreciated that. I was wondering at one point, I was like, where's John Carpenter's music? Am I watching some weird censored version that they didn't clear the rights and if we're getting Czech, like generic Czechoslovakian elevator music? When they had
2: to rip out of the Eastern block. <laughs> yeah, so, yes. No, but then when it kicks in, I'm like, okay, there it is. And, and like I said, I had,
0: you know, it
6: had been – 40 years, so I had no memory of it, and I, and I loved it. Okay. I'm curious what you guys thought of it. I mean, watching it today, um, and of course, we didn't hear where you were in 83, and that's fine. It's your show, but uh, <laughs> how does it play for you today? Does it seem dated or aged or slow or clunky, or do you think it still, like, clicks along and is a good movie?
1: I For me, it's beautiful because it is that one Carpenter film that people always forget. Oh, yeah, it's the stuff he did yeah. in between uh, The Thing and like Big Trouble in Little China, you've got Christine and Starman. His best movie is Starman. S- and his Star- best movie is Starman. Starman's incredible. His best movie is but Starman. But revisiting it, though, it is one of those where it's like, oh, yeah, we've got Stephen King, John Carpenter, a shit ton of character actors that would go into become directors themselves. You have all these mm-hmm. people collaborating together for, like, as you said, Jeff, was ostensibly his paycheck movie. Like, you know, yes. the thing to the, the move, the very film we were talking about last year, this time, that won the entirety of Into the Mouth of March Madness, a year later, John Carpenter had no clout and was like, I just need to be working. I need
2: to work. I need money. But one thing that she said about the music, I love how they use those little snippets basically as Christine communicating a la Bumblebee. <laughs> Bumblebee. Right? Yeah. And so, like, that's where I was like, I, I almost didn't even think of it as music as opposed to like, a character's voice Certainly. and so yeah. I didn't even when I was watching it it didn't even register like oh that's just like filler music I'm like oh Christine's pissed off and she's talking she's yelling yeah, yeah. and listen then, to the oh, I love that
0: that's... yeah yeah listen to the lyrics because they, yeah
2: because like them. you keep on knocking but you can't come in when she's telling to the bad guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when she's doing the thing where she's killing the girl like mm-hmm. he's gonna be with me right so she's basically talking and so I never looked yeah. at it's weird because I never saw it as like music mm-hmm. But when the John Carpenter music, me personally, I think that the chase scene music is some of his absolute best. I mean, I think that this is the showcasing of his, and it's weird because it's just his paycheck journeyman movie, but some of his best music and some of his best crafted scares. That scene where she's just slowly creeping and stalking him in the dark alleys. <laughs> he's. It's not Michael Myers. It's not the thing. It's just a beautiful car. But it's so fucking terrifying.
1: And so it, I think
2: this is one of his most underrated. underrated. And the whole um, scene of the car rebuilding itself is just, even though it's all reversed and it's air and it's
1: all that, it's just still so, so impressive because it's real. It's practical, yeah. You've got real light shining on it. And that scene also is something we've talked about many times is how intimate that scene is. It's a strip tease. And it starts with him that whole thing, okay. Show, show me. me she's and, presenting. Oh, it's yeah. unreal. And I feel like I shouldn't I shouldn't be watching this. This is like a very but it's fascinating.
2: And you're and it's captivating. This I think is actually one of John Carpenter's most underrated. Not his best. As I tell you, that's Starman. <laughs> but it is <laughs> his most underrated movie. Well So then, you
0: mentioned that that this is a movie that rarely gets talked about. And so why do you guys think Christine doesn't get more love than it does. it seems like some of his movies, everyone always talks about. It. And then, then you kind of forget Christine.
2: I think that's the reason why, because everybody talks about Halloween and everybody talks about the thing. It's like Tarantino's, everybody, oh, Pulp Fiction and, and, and um, Reservoir Dogs. Not a lot of people say, oh, he's the Jackie Brown guy, right? Even though that's probably one of his best movies. And I think that's the whole situation with Carpenter. Everybody talks about the thing, Everybody talks about Halloween, but all the other ones kind of get left in the mix. Nobody talks about nobody talks about Village of the Damned. Nobody talks about nobody talks good about Ghosts of Mars except me. You and Dustin. Right? But like so you know, I think it's just when you have two that of the best of... movies ever made well, and, right? even... and that everybody wants to ape, that's just it. It's hard not to get out of the shadow. Like Leonard Skinnerd is always going to be told to play Freebird, <laughs> you know. Even though, even though they got a, a shit ton of better songs, you know, they're yeah. always going to like play Freebird.
6: So, you mentioned the cast. I think they are incredibly appealing. I think that Keith Gordon is excellent. His mm-hmm. his transition. I mean, it's it's like to me perfectly cast and. I, I had a thing for Alexander
1: Paul back then.
6: You know, she looks smart, but has the body of a slut.
1: <laughs> right. Yes. Well, yes. Well, and the cast also like cats of Eddies. Freaking! It's you've got number one in the 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 bully group. One of the cats is the guy that was getting shock treatment at the beginning of Ghostbusters. the The whole wavy line. That guy's in there, and then that whole sequence where not five years earlier, we got Greece and the whole Grease-Lightning oh, oh. sequence. Yeah. And when they go to take apart Christine, I mean, yep. it is staged just like that, to the point, I don't know if Carpenter is maybe putting up a middle finger to Greece. to nostalgia. Or, Good. Oh, you Fuck would. you, Greece. I know. <laughs> he was channeling a little genius there. <laughs> but I do think there's a, there, you know, Carpenter is always very much a, a rebel, you know, anti-authority. So I think there was part of him that was just like yeah forget it i'm this is not my thing i'm gonna trash it but at the same time i think this shows like the danger of nostalgia and how easy it is to get caught up into the stuff where you just put aside your real world responsibilities and everything that's happening now and you get lost in the stuff that was happening then and how that is seductive and i mean shit we talk the reason we do podcasts is we're talking about all these movies that we watched growing up because Mm -hmm. That's there's warmth there. There's comfort. You talked about you know it's become like a comfort food kind of thing for you. You know there's there's a reason for that. So yeah, I think he's between a combination of King and his nostalgia for the fifties and Carpenter's kind of cynical approach. I think it was an interesting melding, Alchemy. Mm-hmm. yeah, of how they actually work together. Because King has
2: he is all about nostalgia, but he's also like everything wasn't fucking roses. Back oh then. no no yeah. So like that whole like that whole, like, basically putting perfume on shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you remember, it looks good and smells good, but at the same time, when you dig a little deeper, it's kind of shitty. And so I think that's that alchemy that works well with the punk rock carpenter mm-hmm. and the nostalgia baiting King.
0: Well, this is, like, vintage King era, and this is when he was also, you know, C- coke high out out of his game. mind Yeah. <laughs> so his, honestly, some of his best work, you know, is the result of enhancements. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he doesn't remember a lot. I think what is it? Uh, you know, some of the books that he wrote back then, I think was a Cujo. I think I read where right? he doesn't remember anything about it other than he knows it was a, you know, but he remembers nothing about writing it.
1: Well, uh,
6: three years what later, I noticed he, he wouldn't remember anything that from I Maximum Overdrive. I'm sorry. I What I noticed this time that I did not remember was, yeah, there's the bully thing, but there's also the parent thing. And it really made me think about his relationship with the parents. And I, I had forgotten that that was so strained and how much, you know, how they were really his enemy. And, you know, he makes comments like to his buddy, like, has it ever occurred to you that part of being a parent is trying to kill your kids? And he, he blames them for everything that happens. And that that's interesting. It It's more than just, like, a passing comment. I think there's more of that woven in there that I remember. Did any of you pick that up? Teen angst. Yeah. Super. It was
2: almost like a metaphor for addiction because, like, you know how they say, oh, you're spending too much time with your girlfriend and all of that, or you're on drugs. You can tell you're getting away from your family. You're changing. You're snapping at your friends. And so I think that's part of the whole, like, toxic relationship that this was in. And so, you know, I definitely picked up on that because... He was always kind of a mom's boy from the get and then he's like fuck you mom and I'm like god damn dude that Strangling car's got a body. hold on you. Can we just, uh, you know, talk about how the mom just
0: though had a look about her? I mean, I'm, I think even when she was like trying to be happy, she just had this this I don't know, she 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 needed an enema or something. She 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 was a little wound up type. <laughs>
2: Well, her baby's changing right in front of her eyes, <laughs> hanging Even out though, with loose that, women though, I mean, and, and, and drag racing and all this stuff well, I mean, about.
0: I think at the start, though, when, I, when she's trying to, like, you know, get him his, his yogurt, you know, oh, and God. she just, I don't know, she just presented herself like, I can understand where he might want to, like, I want to get out of the house, you know, yeah. this woman's driving me be crazy. You know, you do kind of feel sorry for her at the end when, you know, clearly he's crossing the line and, and he's he's gone, you know, bonkers and choking his dad. Choking the stuff. dad out, yeah. You, know, you feel sorry for her in that last scene where she's talking to his friend, you know, she's clearly, you know, it's like, what's going on with him? You know, I, I did feel sorry for her then, but in the early part of the movie, I'm like, man, th- this lady's wound too tight.
1: That's appropriate, though, with a Stephen King character, especially... An adult mm-hmm. Stephen King character. Yeah. Yeah. That to true. me is pretty right on. Um, rounding out the bully group, we have Stu Charno, who is another one of those cats that is instantly recognizable as one of those guys in 80s genre. Uh, but it was, for me, it's always the Kelly Preston appearance. The poor Kelly Preston. The put-upon Kelly put Preston. Put-upon Kelly Preston appearance. That is always, Every time I watch it, I go, oh, yeah. This is early on enough that you have those kind of actors populating those roles where you go, oh, shit, that's Kelly Preston. And even I will say you mentioned um, uh, Alexandra Paul, Jeff. I was always familiar with her from a little film. I don't know if you guys ever saw this. It's called American Flyers. Yep. remember it—the bi- it, yeah. Bicycle racing flick. Yeah. It's got Kevin Costner and Radon Sean, but Alexander Paul's in that one. If y'all, all all of our listeners out there, I know it's not horror. It's not genre. It's pretty great. And she's just one of those actors that has just always had a wonderful presence. In fact, actually, shit, Robert Protzky. Robert Protzky. Who I, okay, I just watched Thief for the first time a couple years ago. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and it's an amazing film. But that was like one of his very first roles back in 81, and he was already... I think at least in his fifties, and just again, King or I should say Carpenter and all those cats just re- recognizing these great character actors that like I've seen that guy Fucking at, Harry like and Stanton. An auto- Harry Dean shit yeah. uh, 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 c- the Cutter you know the the guy with the with that incredible corset which to me still beyond christine putting herself together that corset is probably one of the greatest pieces of special effects that is in that film well
2: fuck and then you have like uh of course you have Stuart charno Charno, baby right and then uh, and william ostrander is buddy
1: well jesus christ again speaking to like 30 year olds playing high school students his sideburns (laughs) almost (laughs) deserve like sag cards they were incredible but I do think it's a combination of it's an early 80s film, but it doesn't, to me, feel 80s. It almost mm-hmm. feels kind of timeless. Timeless almost in a way. 50s. Yes.
0: It does. Yeah. I mean, there's elements where you kind of get a late 70s feel. Uh, I think we tend to forget that the early 80s, we weren't in the neon color phase yet. We were <laughs> we were in this, this changing period of time where the, even the music... Early 80s music, disco was dead, but we were in this weird zone where country music, you know, Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys was hitting the top five. <laughs> and, you know, we hadn't hit the neon colors and and the pop music was wasn't quite where it would be just a couple of years later. By the mid eighties, everyone's, you know, starting their mullets, the the hair are getting higher and higher and higher, and everybody's wearing green pants with orange jackets. And, yeah. you know yellow bandanas and everything was was bright and colorful early 80s movies had a late 70s feel mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. i mean yes uh which but it wasn't like bell bottoms 70s it was that that weird time frame where it is kind of timeless i think to a degree like when you watch halloween it feels less 70s to me um than say like if you watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that has a definite 70s feel to it. And it's only three years, what, three or four years earlier, if even that. You know, there, there's that weird time. You know, if it's if you're not in disco garb, then you're kind of in this normal garb. You're not wearing the, the hippie gear
1: that you would have worn a few years earlier. And that
0: does make those movies
1: timeless. I do not even argue in 83. I'm pretty sure that's when we got Michael Jackson's Thriller. I thought that was 84. Was that 84? It's in that time, though. But it's like it's that time where we're still got character pieces from the 70s. But we're establishing this 80s aesthetic yeah. and this 80s almost like philosophy that would carry into and we get into the 90s. And eventually you'd get from the 80s into the 90s. It's just it's every... like a mullet. It's got 80s in the front and 70s in the back. I think a lot of people when they think of 80s they
0: think okay well it must have been neon and pop and stuff that's only after 85 Mm -hmm. yeah no no you get that bleed over from one decade to the to the next is that it doesn't automatically you know oh it's January 1st 1980 okay everybody put your disco garb away and you know here's your neon clothes and uh let's let's usher in Duran Duran and Madonna yeah it doesn't
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you all a question, because this movie is all about the relationship that one has with their car. And your first car is almost like this beacon of freedom, because then you're like, oh, I can get away from the folks or I can get out of my house. And I I, I, I can tell you this, I still I can still smell my first car like the so many memories from that that I understand that connection that he has with Christine. Uh, it was a 92 Ford Tempo that was called the Monomobile, uh, <laughs> and there's a story behind that. I think I've told on the story before about the Johnson County Crime Fighters, but needless to say, like I, I rode that thing till it was dead. That, my first car was that that just thing that got me away, and I I, I understand Arnie with that relationship, but like anything else, there's moderation. Do you all remember your first car, Richard? You 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 liked like Oh it yeah, was...
0: my first car. I got an '86 uh, when I went to college because uh, I had, I had my mom's car when I was at home, so I could always take out my mom's car. She had an '82 Pontiac T1000, but it wasn't my car. My car was a 1977 red Dotson pickup that had seen far better days. I wish it would have morphed and regenerated. <laughs> On the on the passenger side, there was a, a hole, a rust hole in the floorboard that had to be covered up with a board, otherwise people's feet would have gone out like a Flintstone mobile. <laughs> but but I had tiger paw tires, which were the thing in '86. I had an AM/FM with cassette, mind Ooh. you, and a nice genuine you know wood replica handle on the stick shift. I did not have, a, you know, a good exhaust system. There was a massive hole. So every time I shifted gears, there would be this loud explosion. <laughs> and it sounded like a jet engine to the extent that when I was in college, if I came back to the dorms at two o'clock in the morning, the next day somebody would say, yeah, I heard your ass come home at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning because you could hear your car like a, like a jet taking off. That's funny. I, I did finally get that fixed. Uh, a couple years later, and I exactly 366 days after I got it fixed, one year and a day, one day after the warranty, I started the car and the thing exploded and another hole in the exhaust. <laughs> so for a year, it was nice and quiet, but then the jet engine came back, and it was that way until it finally... I, that thing was beyond dead by the time I finally—I I, said I had it for two and a half years. By the time you get to early '89, it—it was sitting in the parking lot across from the apartment, dying a slow death, no regeneration in sight. I—I I, I gave it to a friend as we were moving down to Texas, and they were said, "Well, I think we could do something with it." And the last I heard, it was headed to the junkyard. They said even the parts really weren't good on the thing, but do I remember it? Absolutely. You know, it it was it was an awesome car, out truck, and and it was freedom, like you said, you know, it was a chance for me to get out and see the world. I might not make it back, you know, because <laughs> it did stall on me more times than not. That was part of the fun. It was a gamble, it was a roulette, right? You know, you're playing roulette, you know, you don't know. Will I get home? Will I get where I need to go? But that thing carried a refrigerator through the hills of Arkansas in the middle of the night (laughs) without without fail. It didn't die about halfway up this hill. I thought I'm not going to make it to the top of this hill. It is grinding. I'm like, you know, basically pedaling as fast as I can. But it made it to the top of the hill and it didn't die on me. So my 77 Red Dotson pickup,
6: I fondly remember it. May she rest in peace. (laughs)
1: jeff how about
6: yourself i remember my first car but i i've never really been a car person my father owned a couple of auto parts stores and i grew up with that and was just thinking i hope i don't have to do that when i (laughs) grow up so i've never really had that app you know i I get it but that just wasn't me
1: I get rebelling. I w- Carpenter would appreciate that. See, I oh, get it too. Yeah.
6: You know,
2: because my and but my first car was kind of like a hand me down. It was a 1984 Chevy Citation. It was two door, beige, no radio, but I did have an attachment that had gave me AM. Mm-hmm. It did not. I mean, the speedometer would not go past seventy. Okay, so no matter how hard I pushed it, it you just 70. it would it would just cap like I had a governor on it it was wacky and so like I remember one time I was like at high school I was school and like the girls were like hey can you give us a ride with your car and I'm like oh yeah yeah sure right mind you this is a two door maybe enough for four and I'm a big guy for some reason I had like six high school girls in the back of this citation and we were all heading down to um Sonics I don't know how we did it but we did it. Now, it was a piece of shit. They're like, can you roll down the window? And I'm like, no. Because right, there's, cause there's only one, and it's there. right? I can't do it. Sorry. Can you turn the radio? <laughs> no. It's only a.m. Ew. Right? And this is back in the day. This is the 90s. So a.m. fucking sucked. Right? And so, like, no. Now I, I, So that was my first car. I don't have the best. I remember my favorite car. Mm-hmm. My favorite car. 1984 Cadillac Coupe DeVille, all white interior, all white exterior. I called it the Reverend Mobile. I've heard <laughs> stories of this
1: <laughs>
2: because I was actually a reverend at the time.
1: Oh my God!
2: I was uh, one oh, of those wow. like internet, internet ordained reverends. I called it.
1: Did you do it after seeing from Dust Till Dawn? You know, yeah. Some other no, well, something like that. IRS?
2: I called myself like our the church was Our Lady of the Evening. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: so, I even ha- I even held I even held a charity fundraiser for Our Lady of the Evening. Once. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you did. I'm sure you
1: didn't have bingo weird things going on there. Yeah, man. It was a Good car word. wash.
2: It was a car wash, and we were trying to raise money. So we were trying to raise money, so we it was like a big group of us, right? And I'm like, we got to raise the biggest money possible. All right, so you two, you girls, the two. The two sexiest girls, what I need you to do, you're going to stand with the signs, the car wash in your bikinis out there. And when they come in, it's going to be me and a whole bunch of other dudes. And we're going to wash the car. It's going to be a bait and switch before they realize what happened. We got their money. Voila. Right. And it worked quite well. Quite well. You know, nothing like high school girls in bikinis. Car wash, car wash, car wash. We have a long line. Next to you know, here I come in short shirts. Who hey, wants me to wash their car? You want a to topless? It's gonna cost you. It's gonna it's gonna cost you more than me to put on my clothes. So <laughs> let me get let me get a scrubbing.
1: <laughs> Our oh. lady of the evening fundraiser. Oh my god, that it, it explains so much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> so uh Other thoughts on Christine before we uh, head on out to camp?
0: I'll just, I I just reiterate what I said. I I loved it. It was, I'm glad that after 40 years, I finally revisited. It will not take me another 40 to uh, check it out again. I watched it on um, one of the streaming services, Paramount Plus. Mm -hmm. So if anyone out there is Paramount Plus, Christine's there. So, um, and it was, uh, you know, probably the best copy available and on streaming it was a really good uh really good print so i enjoyed it
6: yep i love it
1: perfect perfect so love it now from uh the safety of suburbia to the uh
2: filthiest (laughs) camp this side of wet hot american summer
1: (laughs) and you guys mentioned it before this is definitely one of those that unlike christine that had a wide theatrical theatrical release With Sleepaway Camp, I'm pretty sure if you weren't on, like, the East Coast, you probably didn't get to see this in the theater, and I know that it did find its audience via VHS. Later. Very much so in the video rental era, which, explain. again, I didn't come to it. I came to it also late in life. I was about 18
2: when I saw it for the
1: first time. I was probably in my 30s, so it took me quite a while to get to it, but now, granted... Now that it's in my life, hell, with Genius and I, we do yearly screenings of it, you know, here at Screenland. You know, it's because of Sleepaway Camp, for better or worse, I now wear. No, 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 no. I wear them. I don't rock
2: them. No, yes, you do. You rock them. Don't tell yourself. I wear wear
1: my cutoffs throughout the summer. Like. To the point, it doesn't matter if I'm hosting sleepaway camp or not. I'm wearing them. Oh yeah, I'll come over. Like, hey, Greg,
2: what's up? Oh, just
1: cooking. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his little three-quarter shirts. I guess we're having fruit
2: basket for lunch then, Greg. So, <laughs> 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 just some gum. Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> awful. But,
6: there
1: were certainly some short shorts in that. Oh well, and this to me looks like how we were talking about how Christine is timeless this feels 70s this is 83 this is yeah this, this is, is yeah. super eighty one, eighty two, eighty three.
2: 182 83
1: short shorts we are talking mesh mesh, mesh cut off
2: short shorts
1: it's mesh tops it's- with the uh, with the white
0: tube socks that that you know practically go up to the kneecap with the nice you know blue and red color strips that i yes i remember wearing those
2: and you know what <laughs> nothing says 80s old man like sock
1: garters <laughs> <laughs> who, and we have actually, I would say we've developed a My, relationship. The Mike, with Mike Kellen Cr- fan club? But yes. The Mike Kellen fan club? Mike
2: Kellen is the shit. Dude, Mike Kellen, the entire cast of Sleepaway Camp, tip to top, just puts in the most batshit wonderful performance, especially Desiree Gould. I oh. have no idea what the fuck is going on in Aunt Martha's mind, but I love it.
1: So let, that's that's a great place to start is with Aunt Martha because whenever we view this movie. That's the first thing we see. And it's one of those characters that is a character. Now, question, is she too much for you guys? Is she in another movie? How did you deal with Aunt Martha?
6: Well, it goes, I can extend it to the whole movie because even every time I watch it, I'm just not sure what the intentions are. Is it, I mean, it's post-Friday the 13th. Is it supposed to be a spoof of Friday the 13th? Is it supposed to be a comedy? Is it supposed to be serious? And she's probably that it rotates around her because you just don't know how to take her. And it's not an even tone. So I, I don't know. I don't have an answer other than, yeah, it, it perplexes me every time. Someone should have taken her and
0: left her for dead. She was, you know, she was a trip. Um, I agree with Jeff. It's like that she's such a character. That it really kind of sets this weird tone as like, is this a parody? Is this mm-hmm. is this you know, it's it it's hard to take it serious when you've got a character like that. And I think um, you know what, what, what's the uh, you've just mentioned in the camp counselor Mike Kellen. Yeah, I mean he's kind of a, a a caricature as well. I mean he's kind of over the top, um, yet obviously the object of women's desires,
2: which I still am trying to figure I out. Know. how to how that I mean, (laughs) I ain't even mad at him. I mean, seriously, (laughs) it's like it's good work if you can get it, dude. If 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 you're wearing your stirrups and your little like sock garters, and you got a twenty one year old ingenue, like, hey, you want to come over to my place for dinner? Those, I need to invest in 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 garters if that's the case. Garters and stogies, you know, because like,
1: (laughs) I I I am all for you rocking a Mel cosplay or a Mel way of life. From there here we go. On out. So that next,
2: next, uh, next sleepaway camp, I'll see if I can get like a Mel cosplay, and you can do like, hey, yo, Angela, why you so fucked up, right? Or that one, yo, Angela, let's go to the kitchen get you something to eat. I bet you like that, Angela, right? And so like that, Buff Bagwell dude. Oh, and- he fucking rocked it. The fact that like you could see him and then everything, and he's always working out when he's not on screen
1: talking. Ronnie in the background. Ronnie in the foreground. Ronnie's bulge in the foreground right but
2: ronnie is right up there with fucking uh david bowie of just dick in your face when like you don't ex- least expect it you know because he's sitting there yo angela what good eat? why go to they want to take it easy on him, Meg. right meanwhile there's bulge like, jesus christ right
6: Yeah. But
0: so th- what does he do he takes her to the back to the pedophile that's hanging out in the ice box and <laughs> just say, uh, take care of her. Oh, I'll take care
2: of her. I just—I was going to say, in his defense, he probably didn't know that it, like, he was a pedophile. But at the same time, I when you oh, yeah, I'll take care of her. That should be your first fucking clue. You know? Yeah, yeah rock Rock I come we call them baldies. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> Owen Hughes' performances, Artie, is one of those that begs to be killed. Begs for him to go through suffering. And... He, the
6: suffering he does the hilarious
1: largest
6: pot yes i do is that real do i've <laughs> never seen a pot like
1: that do they make that or was it a prop i i mean i know they're cooking for a lot of people and i know when you cater <laughs> you do, you're a party down fan do they do anything like that not that
2: big no my mom has one half that size that she, we could use to cook tomatoes at Christmas time, okay. but it's only half that size. It, that motherfucker had to get up on a step stool to put salt in it. That's insane. That's insane. Uh, Is he cooking for the army? Can he flash fry a buffalo in that fucker? What's going on with that? That's enormous. Everything about this movie it's, is over the top yeah. and wild. Yep. The kids are over the top. Those are the most
1: wonderfully
2: foul-mouthed children, and I love foul-mouthed children.
1: <laughs> well, to me, that's that's real. I. Oh, yeah, me too. I felt like an adult when I got my first car and drove away. I always felt like an adult when I was Cuss. a kid, and I was cursing. Right. Hey, Greg, eat shit and die. Hey, genius, <laughs> eat, sit, and live. I mean... <laughs> Between the dialogue, the quotes, the the, the 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 clothing, and it's goofy and it's mean it's at very the mean. same time. Okay, so the means and the the kills and Christine were pretty mean. Ed French's work in this film, I think, because it is low budget, it doesn't get enough credit. But there's certain like this head and the snake. Oh, the head the and prosthetics? the prosthetics. Yeah, it's. But I let me ask you though this because the um, burn with the bubble. Oh, the bubble. It's the uh, it's yeah. the 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 uh, oh my god it's uh, the, pulsation, the pulsation the bladder back the bladder there we go um so rich you came to this one late jeff do you remember when you initially came across this one um it was it was even post
6: video store days because mm-hmm. i still had my snobbery but i i don't know why and and i didn't just watch this i watched the whole set at one time oh shit <laughs> but it's been probably i mean it's maybe only been 20 years
1: and I so don't want to see
6: two and three and, and four and return. And
1: well, I did. Yeah. And I will say this. Michael J. Pollard is in sleepaway camp three and he, I don't know what he's doing in that movie. <laughs> and, like literally like being cast, but also he is playing to a different crowd in that fling. all over. It's, bizarre. it's, it's a
2: weird movie. It Just really... when you think sleepaway camp one was weird enough two and three come along
1: well from felissa rose to pamela springsteen is a pretty drastic change but felissa rose this was her first role this was like what she's known for in fact rich wasn't she on that episode of joe bob
0: yeah actually um i rewatched the those segments just this afternoon with her and that was uh and of course now she's a regular it seems like on joe bob but yeah she came in and, and she was talking about all the craziness that that was going on behind the scene. I mean, she, she dated the one, you know, her boyfriend in the, in the movie, she dated him. And then she told the story about, you know, when they brought in the, the, the big boob girls for the volleyball scene, he, he left her behind and went for one of the big boob girls. And, you know, she did talk about, um, you know, uh, Mel, you know, with the mm-hmm. camp counselor. Right. So, this was his last movie. He he died. Oh, he was actually battling lung cancer while they were filming this movie. He died anybody. less than a
2: year later. Yeah, he didn't tell anybody. He just because he wanted to keep making the movie. Yeah, you know, so that kind of puts a whole different perspective. And
0: I didn't know that when I rewatched it the other night. So I, you know, I had seen this, but it was kind of like you know one ear out the other. I had forgot that little tidbit, but. Uh, She, yeah, all the craziness that was going on behind, you know, but yet they, she remains in contact with, with a lot of them Mm -hmm. and they meet up on the convention circuit and stuff like that. And she looks back at it fondly, but Joe Bob did ask, did your parents not look at the script before they, she said, no, they were just happy that I got work. They didn't care, you know,
1: (laughs) which makes sense because inevitably When you talk about sleepaway camp, you talk about dong. You you, got to talk about the ending. You do talk, and then this Because no matter how wacky Aunt
2: Martha gets, no matter how gory the kills are, everything, it's all about that last scene and that unearthly sound. (sighs) Yeah, that. Because you don't expect to see a 12-year-old girl hanging dong in the end of your movie.
1: Not, not hopefully not. I mean, in the circles we you run shouldn't in, expect yeah, it. Yeah, that's... Although, yeah, well, true. So, were you? And again, be be it you know, classic snobby beginnings or anything. I always remember this movie even before I saw it was about the ending. In fact, I think I remember like Robot Chicken did a sketch, like a random sketch with uh, Sleepaway Camp, and they kind of spoiled the ending. Um, my question to you all, and the, pro- the problem is, we're a bunch of straight white dudes for the most part, except Genius. Genius is the only like diversity we have, technically. <laughs> but I know there have been discussions, damn near dissertations built around the representation of a movie like this. in term. And this is where I think we'll get into the conversation just later, but how does the ending hold up for you? Do you remember? Did you, were you aware of the ending before you encountered it the first time?
0: I wasn't. <laughs> Okay. I mean, Ooh. Joe Bob was trying not to spoil it. And that was, you know, my first experience watching it. So I I think, you know, they, I had heard talk, but it wasn't like, it just didn't connect with me, you know, until
6: I really saw that scene. So it,
0: it did kind of catch me by surprise.
6: Yeah. I had heard. And so I knew, but, and that may even be why I watched it. It's just like, oh, I've got to see that. <laughs> it's not, ever good. Uh, but not every right So, Like you said, Greg, it's been, I think it's changed over time, but I know it, it at least used to get a lot of, uh, you know, transphobic and homophobic and all of that. And I, I don't know. I, I don't really buy into that because that's one character in one movie that does not, they're not saying every single person, a trans person is a killer, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how do you all feel about that? The, you? Is anyone I, I, offended, either yourself or on behalf of somebody yes. else?
2: Well, I actually think it's since Aunt Martha's the villain, it's mm-hmm. actually very pro-trans because mm-hmm. if you don't let that person be who they need to be inside, ill shit happens. You know, I mean, you can see both sides where That's you true. it could be. I mean, I've seen papers and dissertations for both saying yep. no, this is very pro-trans LGBTQ plus. This is very anti-trans pro bq plus. I actually think it's. Kind of neither and both at the mm-hmm. same time, but I think it's more pro than anything because not only do you have the fact that Aunt Martha is the one that's the villain that actually forces Ricky... Spoilers if you haven't seen the movie yet. Um, that forces Angela to not be Angela. Mm-hmm. And it's also like... It's interesting because the whole like nudity and like sexuality and exploitiveness that you see in a lot of early eighties movies I'm is flipped a hundred percent on its ass because the the all the girls are dressed conservatively. Mm-hmm. All the men are the one that's dressed up in short shorts and all that, and it's not even because of the style of the times. It's revealing for the time and, and going skinny dipping. And they go yeah. skinny dipping, all male skinny dipping, and you just see a lot of naked hairy man ass running around. <laughs> and the only really nudity you get other than that is dick yep. so i don't think it's
1: like i think with all those factors in play i don't think it's anti it's if anything it's an anti-80s slasher based on all the tropes we come to expect right but i with don't an think it's anti-lgbtq no and i that's what i think what i'm
2: not so i can't really say you and know? that's
1: just it it's one of those things that i don't i have nothing to gain from it except ideally learning and listening and for those that it does affect and that's what i think it is creating conversations and discussions and dialogue um final thoughts on sleepaway camp before we start uh whittling down these two classic horror films
6: i i'm sorry it's not a final thought but i would like if we could follow up real quick so uh whether you knew or not uh and you're watching now are there clues uh i caught clues this time that i had not noticed before knowing what was going to happen you know, little things here and there, uh, rich, since you didn't know, were you surprised or were there, were you, did you have clues along the way? I, for, you know, honestly, there's a clue. And unless I'm just seeing a clue
0: where there's not like when you see the, the life preserver at the beginning of the movie, when the, when the boat hits, you know, you know don't you see the it, it, to me it looked like the boy in the water right away. yeah but it, it did not look like like you know the girl's hair and then of course then the next scene you see it's you know you know a- you know angela or whatever but I, you know i guess that's kind of a clue right because i mean if you look closely it's like well isn't that the boy unless it was i don't know i unless you know it was supposed to be leaving that up in the air I don't know it didn't seem to be as much up in the air and maybe that's mm. just i don't know the, the way the hairstyle was and like that's the boy you know it's not the girl so why you know it's implied that you know the girl you know clearly you know died
6: but then supposedly didn't i don't know it mm. it seemed kind of a disconnect there don't you wish you could go back and not know the ending like i i would loved the experience of seeing psycho without knowing oh. how it was going to end the
0: first time I think when I first saw it I, I that's why I was like I there was been talk but I like I wasn't really expecting that you know so I was kind of like not maybe not as 100% shocked but I was still there was still a measure of, of shock there and I was in my 50s at that point so you know I made it a long time before I finally saw the film and I was still sitting there I was like Oh, it was kind of like almost like, oh, that's what that person meant on that podcast mm-hmm. when they weren't really coming right out and saying it in black and white. You know, it's like, OK, now I get what they were talking about.
2: See, when I first saw this movie at 18, I had no clue. I had no idea what was coming, what was in store. I just said, hey, that looks like a cool slasher. I'll watch this. I like camp slashers. Right. <laughs> So when she's over there, I was like, what the fuck? Right. And the funny thing is, I remember it vividly because my friend Eric, about five minutes before the whole thing happened, he was like, oh, come, I'm going to come over and visit. So he walks in and next thing, and I go, oh, shit. And he goes, what the fuck are you watching, dude? Right. Because we were like 18. Is this Eric
1: Benson? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs>
2: Eric Benson, Mr. Like Gangbanger turned youth pastor now. Yeah. So like he's like, What the fuck are you watching? And I'm like, Sleepaway camp, but it was really fucking good, right? He goes, Oh my
1: god, right. And so it, it's definitely a what are you watching? Kind of oh moment, yeah. Oh yeah.
6: Well but... and dong aside, that's another thing I picked up this time is how scary that ending is with her screaming in her face and the the sound and the head. Yeah. You know, you forget that. There's something that kind of outweighs that but that's terrific on its own yeah one thing i got in the revisit here
0: it it it, it just feels like a sleazy film in a lot of ways mm -hmm. i mean
5: it's not
0: (laughs) not eaten alive level of sleaziness (laughs) going back to previous episodes i love it though but there was still there was just so many things i was noticing and just the sleaziness with even that you know the you know the comments you know made and and things that were said and the way people acted the you know homoerotic undertones that you know was that intentional you know and i tried to find out anything about the director if if there was if there was any intent because sometimes you know you know gay actors would infuse that into films Mm -hmm. to try to get past the censors back in the day and i've never been able to find anything on on the director as to whether or not that was intentional or that was just you know unintentional and it just came across that way to me it, it seems like there was some intention kind of like going back to nightmare on elm street too. you know where there was obviously some things that if it was really in your face it wouldn't have been accepted by the the censors back mm-hmm. in the day so let's cover it up in a slasher film and it'll get past the censors cuz nobody will be take it seriously cuz nobody takes slasher or
2: horror film seriously. Well, and you know, to, what which you...
0: makes me think of this is there's something more trying to be brought across in this film or is it just what it is?
2: Well, I think you might be onto something because if you notice the parents of the of the angela and um the bible he died they're a loving Loving, gay couple and they're not shown as a source of ridicule and a source of fun the only like bit of like quote-unquote ridicule is the two little kids like look they're dead. you know and that's just innocent snickering like Mm -hmm. little kids like they're naked in bed Mm -hmm. (laughs) right and they're shown as a loving genuine couple are they
6: are they a couple, though, or were they cheating on their spouses? Oh, I think they're a couple. I think I really.' Think I, I, that's, huh. and
1: that's just it. There's a number of people that have gone into this in terms of what is the real relation. Were they going behind spouses' backs, this and that. i i I, I think there's a number of interpretations, but I do believe it was shown genuinely. As, as gentle as yeah. loving, and something not to be mocked, and it's just right. that's yeah. to me those little moments that do kind of elevate this film. But also, I think for some people they go they go no, that's just almost insulting to put that in a film of this caliber. Mm. But I'm all so, for it I think
6: if if you would have taken that, and then if if
0: if Angela would have done that, you know, to her to himself, you know, and made that change, you know, rather than have have the uh what's her name Martha Martha have her be the one that kind of forced it you know if it would have been something well you know I saw these these two gay men now I'm gonna go off and do that then then the message changes entirely right the intense this this Mm -hmm. it would have been this this whole trope of like you know well you know obviously this is what happens when you see you know you know two gay men together you go off they didn't do that right but then
6: why was it even in the movie What was the point of it?
0: That's my my point is like, is there something with the director? Is there a message that's trying to get across? Because this is not something you would normally see in 83. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that would be treated, you know, the way that it was without trying to, you know, say, okay, well, this leads to this. No, it's like, you know, it's the it's the, you know, heterosexual woman who is whacked, who actually does the damage to to the boy and and sets him down, you know this whole path, you know, to become you know a, you know, a killer. I, I C- think
1: from the get-go, we realize something else is going on because what does the movie open with to my mom, a doer there he's got that that dedication to his mother at the very beginning of yeah. the movie. I don't think there's malintent intent no in this no, movie I think there's, you know I think no, everything
2: no. is made with like loving care. and like you said, Why would you put something like that in this movie? And I think it's because that was his platform. And then he's like, every... and Because in the early 80s, as we all know, there was a lot of rampant homophobia because that was the style of the times. F-bombs are dropped that way. Two guys were kissing. That was all like, ah, right? Very casual. This was done saying, these are loving people. These are normal people. The only abnormal one is Aunt Martha, who went and tortured this kid and i think like you said if the kid saw it and like ah cuts his own dick off and then just goes on a spree yeah then yeah no trans people are bad this is bad yeah no i could see that but i think with this one i think the intent is good intent as weird as it sounds with a weird no,
1: 12-year-old girl There's- hanging dung at the end
2: and a, <laughs> and a pedophile, well, all the bad people get comeuppance, comeuppance. Yep. except yeah. Aunt Martha. So I think also that's if, – if the janitor got away and Scott Free, sure. if Judy got away Scott Free, if Meg got away Scott Free, I think then we would be having a totally different conversation. But I think because – the truly bad is punished, except Aunt Martha. It's done the, the the homosexuality and the gender things and all that is done remarkably with kid gloves for the 80s. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: I think that's
6: the intent of it. It's, I think it's good intent. But that's me. So to answer your question, Greg, overall, I like this movie as much as Christine, but on with different criteria. Uh, I, it's a entertaining movie. It moves quick. Uh,
1: it, I, I like it. Speaking of criteria,
6: let's get cracking.
1: So in the <laughs> round of The Hateful Eight, we have two bits of criteria that we're going to talk about. And the first one is a little bit, um, uh, let's just say, um, abstract in a way. But the idea is to formulate uh, an aesthetic or kind of a definition of what horror was like in 1983 and based on the definition or aesthetic, which of the two films fit that a little bit better so of course we're going to start with our guest here uh rich jeff how are you guys uh what what is your interpretation on this one go
0: rich oh gosh you know we were just talking that early 80s is kind of this little nebulous area Hmm. i'm gonna say that that maybe christine goes more with with what the aesthetic was for for 1983 um, simply because of what we just talked about, some of the things we were seeing in Sleepaway Camp is is was not stuff that was being done in films in '83, um, and I think if if anything, like even like we're you know the look, the fashions, Sleepaway Camp seems more like a '70s movie with some of the you know the little although that was stuff that was worn in the '80s. <laughs> Christine is something that we talked about, you know, kind of almost looks like it could be, to you know, today mm-hmm. where Sleepaway Camp is kind of this, this, this timeless, or it's not timeless. It's kind of definitely set, but it doesn't feel like it's, it's set in 83 for me. It seems like it's, it's set a few years earlier. So I, I would, I would go, you know, Christine being more with the aesthetic of, of what horror films looked like in 83, even though we were dealing with slasher flicks I think Sleepaway Camp is different. And and there's a reason why, you know, it kind of got buried for, you know, 10, 15 years before it got rediscovered. It didn't, it, it got lost in the shuffle for of any variety of reasons, but it was it was too different, I think, for 83. It, it We needed to give that film a few more years before it was something that would become
6: more of a cult favorite. It, it didn't earn that status right away.
1: Oh, that's perfect. That's
6: perfect. That's a sir. great point. And I... I was looking at it a different way and I was like, no brainer. It's sleep away camp. I mean, that is 80s slasher film, you know, personified, but you've got a good point, Rich. If you're looking at it from the aspect of other horror movies of the time, I agree that it's Christine. I mean, that was the kind of thing you were seeing in theaters and you didn't have to wait 10 years later to see it on home video. You know, uh, I, I honestly don't know <laughs> which one to say. Um, uh, it, oh, Greg, and maybe you can clarify it, but if it's of horror movies of the time, Christine, if it's 80s in general, I say Sleepaway Camp.
1: I, You know what? You're, it is your definition. You make your vote good, sir.
6: Sleepaway Camp.
1: There okay. it is. There it is. <laughs> I love it. Genius. All right,
2: It's the 80s. It's the onion of the belt. If you say, hey... What kind of movie defines the 80s? Fucking slashers. So for that, as in what is the qualification of an 80s movie for horror, especially 83? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, 81, we had, what, uh, Friday the 13th? Yeah. As we also had The Burning. Yeah. You know? So, like, and the last killer, good killer car movie we had in this was Duel and maybe the car from the 70s. Sure. So I think camp slashers yeah. specifically – are significantly more indicative of the 80s, especially 83. So on my vote is Sleepaway Camp.
6: But dang, and then I come back to like Stephen King, John Carpenter. That screams 80s, but I'm sorry, I already cast my vote.
1: Oh, no, no, and that's just it. I'm going to piggyback <laughs> off what you just said, Jeff, because yeah, if I when I was looking at 83, looking at everything that was released, one word came to mind. Cocaine. <laughs> Two words <laughs> then technically. Uh, royalty. And Royalty of the King, because Stephen King published three books, I believe, or at least were published in '83. He had Christine, Pet Cemetery, and Cycle of the Friggin' Werewolf. Oh, no. And you've got two adaptations in the theater with both Christine and Cujo. I mean, you couldn't look left, right, up, down inside yourself without seeing a little king. And Granted, King's all about nostalgia.
2: Well, you see a little King in sleepboy Camp, too, you at
1: the end. <laughs> <damn> it, <laughs> but for me, in 83, it's all about King. So my vote is for Christine. Now, that being said, 40 years since 1983, here in 2023, we're talking and giving a lot of love to both of these films. So question, 40 years later, when we're doing Into the Mouth of March of Madness in 2063, God help us... Which of these two films are we still talking about? We'll even remember these movies back in 2063. (laughs) I'm equally torn because,
6: again, I think no brainer Sleepaway Camp, but the king, like you said, royalty, Stephen King, you know, the Sleepaway Camp has a novelty that I'm sure we'll be talking about, you know, for years (laughs) to come. But will we look? at a body of work as a whole and look at Stephen King and look at John Carpenter and God willing, get Christine into more favor and and get it more recognized. Uh, I gotta go sleep away camp though. I think, I think there's just always going to be a topic of the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Rich. That's tough too. Um, You know, so we have, you know, 40 years, you know, after these films have been released, I think Sleepaway Camp is the one that people are talking more about. You know, Christine is has got, you know, even though it's got King and it's got John Carpenter, it doesn't get talked right away when you say, name a couple of Stephen King movies. You know, Carrie, Salem's Lot, Shining, you know, uh, maybe Cujo. Those will be like the ones right at the top of your head. You know, name some John Carpenter films. Well, you're going to the thing and Halloween, you know, or Big Trouble in Little China. Christine isn't going to be there at that top. But I think, you know, man, going another 40 years, I think Christine is going to be more timeless in the fact that, you know, even as we look back now, it's like watch these two films, Christine, you know, is is in a lot of ways looks like it could be today you know, and and Sleepaway Camp just reeks the early 80s. You add another 40 years on the Sleepaway Camp, is it still going to have the charm that it does now, or is it going to look a little more out of place? So I'm going to go with Christine, you know, that's my gut tells me that another 40 years, I think Christine will have more, more staying power. I think Sleepaway Camp has enjoyed this this bit of renaissance for a while. I don't know
6: that it's got another 40 years staying power. So. Plus, I'll, I'll add that everything I read said there's, you know, a remake in development or whatever. Well, in 40 years, they may do a remake of Christine with a flying car. I mean, <laughs> bringing it back into the limelight. So that's another thing to consider. That's actually kind of a point that I wanted to
2: make here on In 40 Years From Now. They might even say, what the fuck's a car? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, like like for example, if we talk about like right now, oh, there's a killer steam engine from a 40-year-old movie. Right now we're gonna be like, oh a fucking killer steam engine, just get away from the fucking tracks. You know, <laughs> I think with the advent of technology, we're not and that's one and another thing, we fucking don't talk about Christine now. <laughs> you know, like you were saying, what name a John Carpenter movie, Halloween the thing. Name a Stephen King movie, it. Firestarter, uh, Pet Cemetery, and that's just the remakes of right now. That's not even digging in the other catalog. And again, there's better Carpenter movies, there's better Christ there's better King movies. Mm-hmm. But there's only one sleepaway camp. There's only one movie about a twelve year old girl hanging dong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like I said, there might not be cars forty years from now, but there's definitely gonna be slashers. That's fair. And I hope there's dongs. I hope so too.
1: <laughs> I
2: would especially mine. <laughs> yeah. well, my dog's around forty years from now. I don't know what's <laughs> going. I don't know what the future leads. I don't know what it might get stuck in. But
1: like, I hope <laughs> it's there. So I'm gonna blame you, Jeff, for that one. That you just got him all off course there. <laughs> <laughs> so I this one was really tough for me because I do think you all have brought up points that I was going to talk about. Just in terms of it being, it's that level of King and Carpenter that we just always forget about and we always have to be reminded oh yeah that's that's a great adaptation and I think there's still merit to what's going on in Christine again um, you know son parents relationships toxic relationships how those can be defined how we can take care of them but I do think because of the LGBTQ plus kind of component to Sleepaway camp it just adds this other element of A a discussion, an awareness that you normally don't see in a lot of... No, I take that back. You see a lot of it in horror and genre. You know, That's what I love about horror and genre is they can tackle these complex issues, either be text or subtext, but then also give you something entertaining to go along with it. And the conversations have carried into 2023, and I'd love to think that... I would love to think that we would have cautionary tales by 2063 of... Mistreatment of people in minority groups, you know, people that have been persecuted. So for me, ideally, we're still talking sleepaway camp 40 years later, but as a more entertaining bit than something that we can learn from. And by a count of four. To three, five to three, five to three. Shit, I need to work on my counting, don't I? If you go to Camp ararak you can learn about that. (laughs) But representing 1983 in the round of the Frightful Four, Angela's hanging dong in the year of 1983. (laughs) And we could not have gotten there without. I cannot. This. I'll be honest. I came in exhausted, tired. And not in a bad mood, but I was like, oh. Oh, I got
2: a second win, But now that we're done, I'm exhausted and tired Well, now, again. the tiredness <laughs> is hitting,
1: but the second win, talking with you guys and mm-hmm. just having you all be part of Into the Mouth of March Madness and creating conversations and, anyf- and anything, just getting together and talk with you guys is always a pleasure. So, Jeff Rich, thank you so freaking much for... Hell yeah, dude. This has been a beyond a blast. And I'm actually, I, I think... Sleepaway Camp was my Frightful Four nominee, but I think that's more nostalgia.
2: Mine was, because I tell you, that's my favorite
1: screenings. There's a lot of good stuff going on with that. but
2: Where can we find you guys again, man, for those
6: of listeners out there?
1: (laughs) I'd say our Facebook group page, the Classic Horrors
6: Club Podcast.
0: I'd say that's the best place, because everything I post is always there. If you want to go to my blog, monstermoviekid.wordpress.com, um, that'll get you to all the all the stuff that I do, as well as always linking out to the podcast, but the Facebook page gets gets you gets you me and gets you Jeff. Nice. Plus Believe a lot you. of other great
1: conversations. So. Yeah, you want you want oh, them yeah in your life, in your rotation.
0: And
2: for real, we are honored to have you guys here. It's always a blast talking to you Thank guys, you. going old school, getting these classic movies. It's wonderful, seriously. Talking to you guys is the part of some of my favorite part of March Madness.
1: It's February, March. We know we're going to be in a good mood. Mm -hmm. So, thank thank you. you. That that means a lot because it's
6: an honor for us. Oh, Oh, absolutely. absolutely.
1: We do appreciate it. Now, that being said, which film from 1993 is going to be joining Sleepaway Camp in the round of the Frightful Four? You just have to wait a couple of days on Monday for the first round. So until that time, this is Greg D. Oh, and I'm just Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams.
2: (laughs) Isn't that fantastic of us?